Hey, this is Chris Visions, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. Get to it now! Nice. Did you hear him open his mouth? In, right before the yoo he went... I, I can't even do it, but you just heard the lips open. It was the best thing ever. Best thing ever. Best thing ever. It's all for you. It's like when the giant cobra snakehead opens up to let the cobra copter fly in after they steal the Joe Shuttle's energy core. Yeah, just like that. Can you tell I've been watching the Joe cartoon? You said you were, yeah. 20 yeah. episodes in. Yeah. What's the year on this? When was it made? 80. Oh, no, you're talking about the OG? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. That's something. Mm-hmm. It's the only one as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, I don't want to, you know, uh, break your heart, so I won't, I won't comment. <laughs> <laughs> well... This is where it gets down to that you're old and busted. You're I wouldn't have expected it to mean much to you. You were you were balls deep in ladies and partying and living a late teen adult life at that it's point. True. I was I was a preteen, still my entire universe was comic books and toys. So. I could see being completely mesmerized by the aircraft carrier though. Yeah. I mean that's well, something eighty four the line started and I was ten, you were twenty, right? So I was born in '65. Right, that's that's what I'm saying. Well, so yeah. you were 19. But my yeah. point being, at night, the only time in my life I didn't buy or read comics was between the ages of 18 and 22. So I I get you. Yeah, and now y'all get us because this is yet another iteration of 11 o'clock comics episode 717. That used to be my area code, but they changed it. No kidding. Yeah, five seven zero. I don't understand why they changed it, but I like seven one seven better. Um, and I'm Vince B. You are Vince B. Uh, my area codes have mostly been nine one four, and I'm David A. Price. I got uh, I got bros in different area codes, like Ludicrous, uh, and uh, of course you know me better as. Wait for it, mm. Phantomas. Wow. The the band with what? <laughs> no, with no. Mike Patton and, and the original masked hero. Oh, Phantomas, nice. You're not Phantomas. You're Jason Wood, everybody. And you don't have to cover your face to get cheap comics and graphic novels and everything else in the previous catalog. All you got to do is go to Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com, where get your books at the price you want to pay. For example, from Aftershock, it's my man, Freddie Williams II, and our buddy Tim Seeley on a new ongoing fantasy series. It's called Bequest. It's $4.99 cover price, but I've read that it has cardstock covers, which makes me believe that they are trying to ride the coattails of another fantasy series that was recently published with cardstock covers over at another publishing house. But well, be it as it may, it has Freddie Williams. You got to buy this. $4.99 cover price, your price, $2.49. Now, per Jason's exasperated request last episode, I have swapped out the meat in the middle. My man. Thank God. Okay. 
uh, the tasty protein in the middle of the two slices of uh, nutritious bread is Ultra Mega by James Heron. Number one, yo, this is a cosmic plague has spread transforming everyday people into violent, monstrous kaiju. Only the Ultra Mega. Three individuals imbued with incredible power. So you're getting your kaiju and you're getting your sentai in one frickin' book. Hold the line against this madness. Their battles level cities and leave untold horror in their wake. Now the final reckoning approaches for the Ultra Mega. But this is a war they can even win. That was a question. Fight monsters and stand with humanity in this new Skybound original from the greatest artist of his generation, James Heron. Then why are you paying him a page rate? Sorry. Um, and Eisner Award winning colorist Dave Stewart. Each issue is exercised with a 60-page debut, that's French, that can barely contain its giant heroes, creatures, and devastation. Register pitch. The high-impact adventure of Extremity, but with the kaiju-esque monster action scenes of Pacific Rim. Okay. Um, artist and writer, Mr. James, too good for your eyes, Heron, and color by Dave Stewart. It's a seven ninety nine book. It's bigger. It's better. It's worth it. But because you go to DCBS where the prices are low, you are going to get this beast for $3.99. That's 50% off. And last, but certainly not least, while I mentioned the Sentai, this from Seven Seas is called the Super Sentai Himitsu Sentai Gorenger Classic Collection Hardcover. It is the progenitor of the Power Rangers. This is where it all started. Shotaro Ishinomori's uh, classic manga that helped inspire decades of Super Sentai adventures and gave rise to the Power Rangers. Hardcover, lots of pages, Cover price twenty four ninety nine. Your price seventeen dollars and forty nine cents. That's only thirty percent off, but thirty percent off is pretty damn good. That's about what you're going to get it for on Amazon. But go to DCBS because then you get it shipped with everything else, right? DC, Absolutely. DCBService.com. Go there and save a whole bunch of money. I'm done. A bunch of money. A bunch of money. All the money. Yep. In the world. So much of it. <sighs> Why are you sending me images on Skype? What am I supposed to send them? When you send an image on Skype, it goes boink, and then the people at home hear, what? Boink? <sighs> That's okay. That's all right. I'm trying to help you. All right. You're the best. What are you sending well, me? No, because I always forget to give you images, and I thought I'd give you the images. Oh, look at this. How nice. Yeah. You're the best. Where, should I send them on the on the slacks instead? Ah, just keep them in your pants for right now. Okay. All right. We're good. DCBService.com. Word up. No one would have known what the bloop was. They would have just thought it was one of us getting like a text from one of our kids or something. I know. I know. But we're completely transparent. Yep. Unlike the GOP. Hey, how about, how about this? My wife repping for us getting us a new listener today. Really? So, yes. Her. She comes in all excited. I'm in my office doing doing the work thing. Uh, we have a, um, as I'm sure many people do, you all might as well. We have a pest control service that we use. Mm-hmm. In our case, it's Viking. I don't know if that's a regional thing or a wow. national thing, but we use Viking. So the Viking dude comes to do his business today, and uh, she comes up all excited. She's like, "Hey, I can believe this. Our Viking guy loves comic books." 
he was downstairs doing the traps and he saw the art in your walls and he came up and he commented on it to me and I was telling him what a huge comic guy you are and then he said he loves the stuff, he can't get enough of it and I said to him, well do you listen to podcasts? He said, I love podcasts and she said, my husband has a famous podcast about comics and I gave him the URL and told him to look it up and he's, he said he's going to go home and listen to it and I'm like, wow. look at you, recruiting for yeah. us now Now, I don't mean to be Mr. Pessimist but did you take note of the stock after this guy left, like are there any are there any you know dark spots on the wall you know where what? shit was I hung? Jeez. I have not gone down to the yeah. room. I could be missing some things. You never know, never that, know. That is, I, it's so. I told you guys about my next door neighbor who is a comic fan. Gave me a bunch of um, dreaming issues to to, to read because he, he wants me to read on Sandman and stuff. And um, the guy behind us. Well, his 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 the front of his place faces the back of ours. He um he's an Archie fan. He's got uh, Dan Parent art apparently, and the Onyx's boyfriend Monty Monty's parents they're the ones that that, that got a Peloton recently, and I guess Renee was Renee mentioned. I don't know how it came up. I know she was wearing an Avengers shirt one day, and I guess maybe Renee mentioned a podcast or something. So Tom asked about he. We were walking our dogs together, and he, and one night he's like, "So what? What is this? Your wife was telling me about a podcast. What's the podcast about?" And I told him, and and then I, I texted him the link, and, and he says he's going to check it out. So yeah, we're, we're 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 making it happen. I don't give a shit who listens. I, don't, I just had listen, to get that I, out there. I, just and that's, I mean, just I mean, you know, if if th- that's fine, if nobody's asking you if you do a podcast, yeah, I don't care. You know, if <laughs> I, where if if someone asks about it, then my, I'm not I'm not hiding it. It's not. Oh, no, of course not. So, I'd be like, fuck you, find it yourself. But anyway, hey, yeah. the only time I was ever uncomfortable was when I was picking up my youngest from a birthday party. Oh no! And another ten year old came up to me and said, "Mr. Wood, I listen to your podcast." Oh, that's that's. And I was like. <laughs> Oh yeah, because my because my ten year my ten year old doesn't listen to it. I'm like, oh really? And he said, yeah, it's really funny. And I'm like, oh okay. <laughs> and I, it was one of those things where I didn't I I, I mean I, I we're not friends with the parents, right? Like I don't really know them. So I immediately like I'm 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 getting the the douche chills right. And I'm like, yeah, oh, no. So I I I had I went into the kitchen and I I found the dad and I said, hey, how you doing? You know, Holden's dad, blah blah blah. Uh, and I said I had to explain it to him. I'm like, listen, I I came in to pick up Holden. Your son volunteered that he listens to my podcast, and the guy's looking at me. The guy's like, blue collar guy, clearly didn't even know like what a podcast was. He's like, okay, I, uh, he's like he was like not following me, and I had to explain to him. I said it's like a you know online like a radio show. I do it about comic books. And he's like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, but I'm coming to tell you that I don't really think it's appropriate. Uh, I'm like it's it's for adults. It's rated for adults. We use adult language, and the dad was like completely nonplussed. Like I don't know if he didn't care, he just didn't understand. But I did my duty. I, yeah, I told, that was nice. I told the dad, listen, it's really not appropriate for him. I have no idea if the kid still listens or not. But yeah, he put his uh, he put his picks for the eleven o'clock was you know, on spreadsheet. Oh, that. nice. Oh, okay, cool, cool. <laughs> Speaking of that, there you uh, go. We have. <laughs> Uh, it is. We it has been decided. So it is written. So it shall be. One week from today. Um, so we're recording this on the fourteenth. So the twenty first will be our eleven o'clockers episode, where we tell you our favorite 
creators and works of the prior year, so 2020. One of the few good things about 2020 was was good comics. Um, so what that means is um, I know a lot of you love to procrastinate. I have to admit I have been known to procrastinate about things of, of my own, so I, I can't be mad at you for it. But either way, um, you have until – if you're listening to this on Friday, I'm assuming most of you, you have until Saturday night to tidy up your – your voting, whether it be just going in and tweaking or filling in blanks or going ahead and answering it for the first time, because I'm going to attempt to get the data sorted and figured out on Sunday so I don't have to do it during the work week. Um, so you have until what's that would be the, the let's say midnight uh, on the 16th is uh, is when I'm going to close the doors on the balloting. And if you're not sure where to ballot, first of all, shame on you because we mention it every week. But uh, go to our website, 11oclockcomics.com. Top left tab, DAP created a beautiful little 11 o'clockers tab. It'll bring you right to the Google form. Um, but I'm sure most of you already know that. And um, we've had a nice flurry of submissions in the last week or two, once again, proving you all like to procrastinate. But remember, uh, if we if we there's different thresholds where we'll announce a winner on the episode next week uh, on a drawing from all of those of you who did respond. And uh, depending on the number of entries, the size of the prize will range anywhere from 25 to up to a hundred dollars at in stock trades. So uh, I will tell you spoilers. I haven't looked at the, but we're, we're pretty far away from that hundred dollar threshold right now. So, um, so if you, if you want to, you, you better start telling people the URL if you want to get up there, but, uh, but either way, it'll be a cool prize and it's free. Hey, so, Who's yeah. going to turn away a chance at free book, right? Oh, there goes our Yelp review. Yeah. The, <laughs> oh, yeah. We're, uh, <laughs> that's such, a, that's such a, a demand driver for us, our Yelp review. Um, so, all right. So that's the 21st. That's next week. The Thursday after that, we will have our book of the month. We're going to get, we're going to take care of the house cleaning up front tonight. Uh, our book of the month will be Monday. I'm sorry. Thursday, January 28th is when we'll record it, so you'll hear it on the 29th. Uh, do you want to know what everybody had to choose from? I do, and I must admit, I know I know what we had to choose from, because you, sh- you should, but I don't know what won. So, okay, um, this is perfect, because voting ended a couple hours ago this evening. Um, it started uh, Monday, and I thought, I, I misunderstood our Slack chats. I thought we were doing an episode this past Monday. We weren't, we were kind of just maybe getting some bonus content for y'all. We'll see. But, um, I wasn't able to announce them Monday cause they weren't up over the weekend. So, uh, your choices were animal farm dissident X, also known as triple X back in the day. It's been remastered and colored, uh, and given a new name, justice league of America, the nail midnight radio, Mr. X, Eviction and Other Stories, Pistuvi, The Spire, Stray Bullets, Sunshine and Roses, Volume 1, Kretschmeyer, Transmopolitan, Volume 1, Back on the Street, Usagi Ojimbo, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Complete Collection, and X-Men, The Dark Phoenix Saga. Now, when I... Jason was cool with the list. Vince had some apprehension, but didn't throw up too much of a fuss. I thought the fuss that wasn't a thing was a non-issue because listen, we just got them giving our top five X-Men. We talked about some X-Men artists. I figured being on top of mind, the dark Phoenix saga would be near the top. If not, 
the hands down winner. And then I also threw in transmit. So I figured, Hey, it's been a minute since we talked about Warren, but we've never, all three of us in any great detail have talked about transmetropolitan. Um, neither of which, uh, even came close to the third or fourth place. So, um, we are going to be reading and discussing Usagi Ojimbo, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the complete collection. It won with 29% of the votes. Nice. Just beating, because it was neck and neck, just beating Justice League of America, the nail, at 27%. Okay. It's pretty damn awesome. And yeah, I am, I'm excited, because I've, I've, I haven't read a lot of Usagi, if, if, aside from, you know, maybe a few pages here and there and various serials but i i it's it's kind of a, a a blind spot for me um so these stories for the most part are going to be all all new so so i'm excited but um that's so so that's the next two thursdays we also have bonus episodes for you and one of them will have a special guest someone you've never heard on the show before never ever ever and they are damn talented. That's all I can say. Yes. Yeah. And 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 uh, so that 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 will be happening on one of the upcoming Monday night for us Tuesday episodes for you all. So that so we got a pretty packed. And then we actually have something coming up early on in February. So it, it we we got some exciting. Yeah. I'm excited for the next packed. few weeks. Yeah. 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 Keyword to the stuff coming up in February. Two keywords. One of them suits you. The other one state. Oh my gosh, that is not what we're talking about right now. Well, okay. Uh, I want to know, in your present state, what is getting you to be inebriated? Okay, I'll go first. Um, I was talking... Switch it up today. Yeah, Yeah, sure. I was talking to Dap uh, during the bonus content for this episode, where I thought that um, this IPA that I'm drinking tastes a lot like the IPA I, I had last week. And it's from the same brewing company, which makes me raise my eyebrow. It's from Levante Brewing Company. This one is called Wayward Waves West Coast IPA. 6.7% alcohol by volume. It is a pint. But I'll be totally honest with you. If you blindfolded me and poured both of these IPAs in, in glasses and made me do the taste test, I wouldn't be able to tell them apart. This tastes a lot like the one I had last week. So I don't know if Levante is just trying to pull the wool over our eyes and they sell the same beer in different cans. I don't know. But it sure tastes like it to me. It's very, very, <laughs> it's very, very good. But it's it's very similar to last week's beer. I don't know. That's it. That's all I got. All right, right on. Uh, I'm drinking some grape. Mm. And I think it was just a week or two ago we were talking about uh, the general price points we're comfortable with for our main go-to wines. And uh, I had mentioned that I, I like to be in like that $15 range is sort of a house wine. Yep. So a wine that we have drank quite a bit over the years, I'm sure I've mentioned on the show, is one called Santa Julia Reserve. And um, I've also mentioned Close to Luciete, which is one that we drink a lot. Well, the wifey went to the liquor store and she came back with a Santa Julia but it's uh, it's not the Santa Julia Reserve um, now this is uh, this is an Argentinian wine from the Uco Valley this is Santa Julia Mountain Blend 
Mm. So it's a, it's same same vineyard, but uh, different mix, and it uh, it it's my first time, first bottle I've ever had of it, and I have to say, it's better than the reserve we've been drinking for like ten years. It's Ooh. it's and it's the same price. It's it was fifteen bucks. So um, it is a blend, um, but it's. Like we talked, like Dap and I were saying, it kind of wines we like. It's 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 definitely full bodied, but for very very much on the dry side, which I like a lot. Um, you, you lose me when you get to be the sweet wines. It's it's got uh, a lot of different flavor, um, but I mean, you definitely get like blackberry and licorice in it for sure. Um, and uh, and I I think it's just it's delightful. So I think I think I'll be we'll be working this into the rotation. Nice. Admittedly, I don't know if this is a new thing for them um, or not. It, it just could be one of those random things where we never noticed it before and noticed it this time. And and uh, but I think this is going to replace the reserve. We're going to replace with this mountain blend. Always right. good to trade up. Trade up. Well, it's yeah. the same price. Same price. Well, no, both like fifteen dollar bottles of wine from the same. But it's uh, it's just a. I, I guess I'm trying to. Comp- I haven't had Santa Holy Reserve in a bit, but I, I mean, I have drank a lot of it. I, I feel like this is just a little bit tighter, like with the berry. It's just a little, like a, got a little more, little more bite to it, a little, little better finish. Sweet. Very. I mean, it's it's, you know, it's good. Comparing apples to 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 apples, it's like comparing mm-hmm. like a gala to a, a, a Fuji, but but still delicious. Damn galas are the best. <sighs> sure. Not much of an apple eater. Uh, yeah. Um, this is, first of all, shout out to um, Anthony Gonzalez. He uh, he, he was definitely a, um, he sent a beautiful card. Uh, he sent a great card with, with his beautiful family, but he sent an awesome note attached to it. I'm not going to get into the note now, um, but it made me laugh because it's almost like the dude knows me. But, the um what he did set me up with was a um was a membership and part of that membership includes what i am drinking tonight and this is from um barrel craft spirits it's called barrel whiskey it's american vatted malt and basically it's a collection it's a blend of American single malt whiskeys. And it is, it's a high proof, high alcohol content. It's, it's 117.5 proof. So it's, it's 58 and three quarters percent alcohol by volume. Um, so it, it burns. I've, I, I tried it neat just to get a taste for it. And it, you feel it. And, and, um, and and those are fine. I appreciate those whiskeys a lot, um, but it definitely makes the other whiskeys I tend to drink, like the the tin cups, they're like almost like water. But but um, I got a nice cube in this now. It's chilling out. It's getting mellow. Um, I really 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 like this. I don't know how often I'll be drinking it because it is on the strong side. Um, it's definitely something I think you would need with uh a spritz seltzer but um 
Oh, when you drink it, you definitely feel it. And and it is a uh, it it was actually it's just like it was bottled uh, on November twentieth last year. Um, it, it 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 tastes young, but it is it's it's strong. It's good. I seriously appreciate it. I uh, so I thank you, Anthony. I will be thinking of you throughout this episode every time I look at this bottle, uh, and I can't wait to see what um, what comes next. There's also some samples that I have, some drams of a few others that I got to do a um a blind taste test with. So I'm looking forward to that. We're not gonna get into that tonight, but this was this is really tasty. I don't know how with it I'll be by the time we're done tonight, but um, it'll be a fun ride. Ram, son. There you go. All right. To the comics. Now, we have noticed, we've noticed that uh, y'all get pretty dank in the draws whenever we do uh, a list. Thank you, thank you now. Everybody says, oh, we love the list. They throw the panties on the stage and they they just, for some reason, ranking things uh, excites people. So who are we to not provide you with what you want? We must, correct? So, absolutely. in the spirit of, of uh, brotherly love and, and giving the people what they damn want, we present to you another top five list. We're not going to do a top and bottom this time because we want to keep it positive and relatively short because we've noticed also when we do a top and bottom, we tend to go really long. So uh, we're going to keep it just to the top five. And here's the theme. Our top five... Favorite licensed comics. Mm-hmm. Yes. And as usual, we have solicited uh, responses from our Slack brothers. And uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. So um, let's start with Jason, as usual. And oh. uh, well, you always seem to go first. Which oh, is okay. it's good. You're the always you're the pivot man. Um, huh. But remember, everybody out there, this is our top five. <laughs> favorite we're not saying best because we don't pick best right. top five favorite licensed comics and before i give my number five i think it's important to add the following context which is that this is really um also delineated by who had the license at the time so theoretically th- this is not on my list but theoretically marvel star wars would be different from Dark Horse Star Wars, which would be different from current Marvel Star Wars. Yeah, same thing exactly. with Conan. Yeah. Right, so yes. you could have all three of those on your list if you were so inclined. Exactly. And okay. a little peek behind the curtain, Jason threw up a fuss because... J- Jason and David and, yes. and any you, other well, no, and logical person. No, David did not throw up a fuss. David just said, I'm just going to remove it from the table entirely because of this. That's not a fuss. That's just saying, hands off. <laughs> But no, I said it's pure it's, nonsense if you put right. them on your list. That's all. Yeah, and David agreed with me. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, but, it's, any, wait, but oh, then wait, you wait, said wait, you wait. didn't put it on your list. So. Oh no, 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 I didn't. But I, I said, okay, let's do this. Let's have, let's have a, a fun with okay. this. But you can't put the OG Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on your list because it's not a licensed comic. Eastman and Laird owned it. Right. They didn't yeah. license it from anybody. But then I said, should you desire, you could put. The image, the Archie or the IDW iteration of the turtles on your list because those were in fact licensed comics, and then it stuff started, stuff happened, <laughs> yeah. and uh, uh, so I and but they, I mean, there was uh, guesses or or uh, assumptions that I was saying that because I wanted to put the IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on my list, which 
is not the case because it didn't make my list. When you hear my list, you're going to be like, okay, all those books are better than than the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at IDW, which is a great series, but it cannot compare to the stuff that's on my list. I was list. just going to say, only, there are only so many... Listen, it's five. If, if you know, Maybe TMNT could be six, but that's fine. This is still right. top five. No, so I got a six, it, and they I'm didn't make six either. TMNT couldn't be you know, in your top ten. Yeah. If it's not on your five, that's fine, but... but you know, I still, I disagree that any turtles would be on the list because agreed. Yes, even because though why? Nickelodeon bought it, and now they're licensing the Nickelodeon. They're licensing it from Nickelodeon. It's still, it's still emanated as Genesis. As Jason said, it's the Genesis. It's it, the original concept was a comic book. So if you didn't have, if Eastman and Laird did not sell to Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon wouldn't have anything to give to IDW. Mm-hmm. So without those comics, you wouldn't even have the IDW stuff. Hence, I don't think it's it's it fits in it, this. Is someone paying for the rights to use the characters, yes or no? <laughs> anyway, why are we even having this debate? Exactly. If, if it's not on your list, or... we, we agree to disagree, and they're not on our list. So All right. <laughs> okay. But I have to say, this was a very enlightening exercise for me because... Mine are scooped from a very shallow pool. There's... I was going to say, I will be stunned if any of your five aren't 70s Bronze Age Marvel. So, <laughs> Well, so... Way, way to bury the lead because they all are. Of course they right, are. Right, they all are. And I'm thinking, and not only are they all 70s Bronze Age Marvel, they're almost all created by the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they came out in roughly the same, t- same year. Yeah, it's, cool. and it, I was like, wow, what an impression... Uh, you know, 1970 to 1979 destroyed me. Like that—that's my time. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and in keeping with that, uh, my number five is one of those, and that is Micronauts Marvel OG. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I'll cool. cut to the chase. Mine is too. Yeah, that's 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 on my list. There you go. Is is <laughs> is it your number five, David, or is it up higher? Uh, you know what? I did not. I, I, um, no, it's not my number five. I have it actually at number three. Um, uh, let me, let me actually number mine. Cause I just, I threw a list up. So I'll, I'll number mine. Okay. But, um, Micronauts is my number five. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know how we're going to work this now. Well, you, you, I, I, Micronauts was my number five and yours. So Dap, go ahead and do your number five. Oh man, um, this was this was tough for me because I'm still my number five is Johnny Quest from Comico. I I bought the issues from the newsstand. The first dozen or so issues all had different artists. There was some beautiful art in those issues, um, and then before the series concluded, it was the the same art team. Uh, I think it was Hempel. And Wheatley, but um, yeah, Johnny Quest is one of my one of my favorite books at that time, and easily one of my favorite licensed books. Yeah, nice. I love the team of of Hempel and yep. uh, Wheatley, uh, but should you decide to try and get all those back issues, Eesh. yeah, I, yeah I, I lost them. Yeah, they're hard, right? Yeah, yeah not, some I'm of not, them are rough. I, I know that. I mean, there's the Dave Stevens cover. There's a root issue. There's, I mean, there's there's some beautiful art on those books. I know Rod scored a bunch um, recently, but 
that's of, of all the books that I've I've lost over the years. That's this one stings, and and I, I resign myself to realizing I I don't see me ever recollecting that. Mm-hmm. And the the sad part about it is. I don't see any publisher collecting that in the future. So it's right. you know it's a, it's a, a double dam. Yeah, they're hard to get, and you'll never see new editions of it. Mm-hmm. Never read it, but I'm not a big fan of the cartoon. Uh, I never was uh, the Alex Toth uh, angle. Sure, I like the designs. I, I thought you know it looked good, but the uh, you would think me being the, you know the pulp guy, I would love Johnny Quest, but it just didn't connect with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to each his own, right? I guess. Okay. Mar- well, my Marty number four is is not a Marvel Bronze Age, no. although it does owe its roots to that very Marvel Bronze Age because it is GI Joe from IDW. Now, I need to clarify. Yeah, you do. Uh, IDW has been putting out G.I. Joe comics sometimes multiple per month for a long, long time. And I'm not vouching for the whole thing. I, I In fact, I haven't read a lot of it, so I can't vouch for it. But the, um, the IDW run that I think coincided with either them getting the license or shortly thereafter from Devil's Due, when you got a bunch of distinct books, most notably, I think, in people's minds, G.I. Joe Cobra 1 and 2, um, which which centered around Chuckles and the like, and you had Chaykin and you had uh, Mike Costa. That period of Joe, that three to four years, um, and that actually was right when we were starting the show, too. I talked about those books a lot when they were coming out back in the early days of the show. I loved that, and that probably is from a like a, a, a story narrative perspective, my favorite Joe comics ever. Um, just because, because it's written with a modern sensibility and it was cohesive and, um, I love that stuff. And, and it's, it's some of the, it's, it's one of the few licensed comics that wasn't seventies Marvel bronze age that I would happily revisit. So, uh, yeah. So GI Joe IDW. The Robert Atkins art on that early Joe stuff is just phenomenal. Yeah. And, and interestingly enough, I mean, that's talk about blast from the past back when we had the, the, the bullpen bulletins forum. Uh, you know, and we were active on that, as you as you guys remember. Robert was active on the forum because we spoke about the comic and his art early on, and he responded to that. And yep. um, we 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 were we were pretty actively in touch with him for a long time. We've fallen out of touch in recent years. I mean, we'll see him at a con every every year or so when we at least when we were going to cons before COVID and say hello. But uh, I don't know that he keeps up the show much anymore, if at all. Um, he is back to doing Joe. For those that don't know, he he is the he's one of the main artists on the ongoing GI Joe, which ironically is actually um, the current book at IDW is a including its numbering a continuation of the original Marvel run, also written now by Larry Hama, and Robert is back doing that book uh, on a regular basis. So excellent, right? Okay, my number four. The possibility of a collected edition of this book is as much a long yeah. shot as the it's not what you think as the oh. uh, um, existence of the book in the first place. Uh, in 1977, when this book came out, it blew my 12 year old mind. I had 
to draw a line between my first love, Marvel Comics, and the big-ass green kaiju that stoked all my TV dreams. And I'm talking about Godzilla. Marvel's Godzilla exploded my head because Munch said it in the pretty much the Marvel Universe. When you had S.H.I.E.L.D. running around with Godzilla, like, what? How is this even possible? I loved every one of those issues. The Trimpy art. Then you had Tom Sutton. The Like, Batragon belongs in the pantheon of Godzilla villains. I wish someone would make a friggin' Godzilla movie with Batragon in it. Or, or Red Ronin. Like, stop. It's just a, a phenomenal series. Didn't last long. Um, Marvel published an Essentials at one point. Which is crazy, uh, but the um, the the chance that you're going to get a, a compilation of Marvel's Godzilla at this point is just nah, probably zero. Uh, well, no, I'll, I'd raise it to maybe ten or fifteen percent because Marvel and IDW are pretty tight, and IDW has, or at least had, the license to do Godzilla stuff. So maybe fifteen twenty percent chance, but that's about it. Uh, it's glorious, though. Did you guys ever read the Marvel's Godzilla? Just a few random issues. Yeah, same. Yeah, uh, like when I was young, and, and I'd pick like I'd pick them up, but, but never on a consistent basis. And there was a, a an implied crossover with the Shogun Warriors at one point. Like um, in the Shogun Warriors, they mentioned the existence of Red Ronin. You didn't see him, but they mentioned it. So it was like much was writing both of them and there was and Trimpy was drawing both of them so it seemed like the same universe to me uh it uh, just amazing stuff yeah sorry uh, marvel's godzilla is number 4 nice uh for me it's the original OG run of marvel's star wars um there were i had a good nice consecutive chunk um after after the first few issues, it was uh, when it became its own thing. When they obviously, when Roy and company didn't know, weren't getting the scripts or anything like that, or things were in drips and drabs, and we ended up with things like Jackson. But we we um, I whether it was um, the friends art early on, uh, Simon's card, there was just even annuals. I, if I saw a Star Wars book, I was usually all happy with it, and and um, and they. You know, they they timed it. I mean, the stories were told so that you know when the movies happened, when we got Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, um, they they were able to take the break and then, or at least you know say, hey, you know, next issue picks up after the movie or whatever, and um, and continue things so that um, you could still have fun. I, I, the younger days, but you know, you weren't bogged down with the continuity, making sure you know that 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 wouldn't fly because something. It's got to connect to the movie or the TV show or whatever else is is in media these days. But uh, at the time, it, the Star Wars books were just were a lot of fun. They were they they definitely had a Marvel feel, but um, they didn't. Uh, you 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 knew, and even I mean, they would even introduce characters that you know weren't necessarily in the movies, obviously. Uh, and and they they had fun with it. I I had a lot of fun reading the Star Wars books when uh, back in the day. Mm-hmm. It's it's weird because, like, 
I was who wasn't at that age. The the Star Wars movies were like the thing. I mean, those were the biggest, and and the Star Wars toys were huge for me. But I never once gave the comics a thought. Like I didn't even really like. But yet, with the other, well, two other books that that we'll likely be talking about here, um, they were the comics were so integral to to my fandom. It's it's I don't know why the Star Wars didn't rise to that, but uh, but. but yeah, but to your point, I mean, revisiting it later on, from it, it was it was fun stuff, great stuff. Um, well, my number three, going back to Marvel OG after taking a departure to IDW, um, and and I'm sure Vince it'll warm his heart. Um, Transformers, the Marvel OG, uh, has to be on there, um, and, and that gets to what I was just saying to Dap. For me, um, growing up, the 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 two things I was most obsessed about were G.I. Joe and Transformer toys. And um, I was just at that perfect demographic age, right? 10, 11, 12, where I was the person they were trying to market to in multiple ways by having us read the comic and watch the cartoon and buy the toys. And, and I was just at the absolute eye of that storm. I, I, every waking moment and free dollar I had were geared towards acquiring, um, some part of that ecosystem for, you know, probably five straight years of my life. So yeah, uh, the, the Marvel OG comic is always going to have a great place in my heart, no matter how long it's been since I've reread it. It is very good and, and lived on, um, with the Brits. They kept that narrative going for a while. And Mm -hmm. uh, recently IDW brought it back in the, uh, Transformers 84 Secrets and Lies, right? Yes. My number three. Now take note, because this is one of my all-time favorite comics. And if it's only number three on my list, you know one and two are really, really, really special to me. And again, there's that name, Doug Munch. (laughs) I can't escape the guy. My number three is Marvel's Planet of the Apes magazine. 1974, Munch and Plug, Terror on the Planet of the Apes. impacted me like a sledgehammer, changed me forever. I have a deep, oh, it's, 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 it's such nothing but love for this series. Uh, it's, it's above my, well, at the time it was way above my, um, understanding. There's terrorism in it. uh, Obviously terror on the planet of the apes. There's, um, you know, uh, racial and uh, th- things that as a uh, that came out in 1974. So I was nine, and uh, I just didn't get it. But the artwork, and um, I knew it was heady stuff. But I, you know, at nine years old, you're not really going to understand the subjugation of a quote inferior race, right? It, it doesn't doesn't click but over the years yeah like as i've grown the series has grown with me and it's always i always revisit it it's just an plug's art is amazing munch's story is is gut-wrenching at times and then tom sutton came on the book and it's like what um yeah it's it's one of the nearest and dearest comics to my heart uh planet of the apes magazine respect yeah dab's number three was micronauts yep uh, okay, so 
Well, my number two making a return trip to the list, this time in its original form, would be G.I. Joe, uh, the Marvel, of course, the original Marvel run. Um, I've been actually rereading that. I'm up to issue 90. Um, and um, it's it's been a lot of fun revisiting it, but uh, but certainly, as with many things, it... it Whatever it is to me now, as I reread it, it it pales in comparison to what it was like when I was living with it and seeped in it, and 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 it just was there. There, every page of that comic was magic to me because, you know, you just I'd be like, oh, am I gonna? It, it, whether it was the cartoon or the comic, it was just like, oh, am I gonna see a new vehicle or a new villain or a new Joe? And then I'd think. Oh my god, are we going to get that toy? Because of course back then I wasn't savvy to the ways of the business world and I so it was it was of course the answer was yes because that's why these characters were being put in front of our faces, but at the time it was like, oh, like I vividly remember the Dreadnoks and uh and Zartan and thinking, "Oh man, like it would be so awesome to have those as toys." Never thinking that, well, of course that's why they're showing them to us because they're going to be making the toys momentarily and then like I remember um, you talk about like gifts. You remember it was my birthday, probably my, I guess my eleventh or twelfth birthday, depending on the line up the years. But and uh, I was it was the school day. I remember getting ready to go to school, and my mother saying, "Oh, here you can open this present before you go to school," and it was a cloth clothing box, you know. And and as a kid, right, you you, you inevitably had that. You got some toys, but you also got like clothes, and it was always the gifts you, you didn't really like, but you're trained to be happy about because you didn't want to seem like you were spoiled and so she handed it to me and I'm thinking like oh I gotta open a focaccia clothes like shirt before like my like I go to school like this sucks and inside the clothing box were the were the the original three dreadnoughts and it was like nirvana like I was 20 feet above the floor of the school the entire day knowing that I could go home after school and open them up and play with them it was like the best thing ever so that car, that comic book, very few things ever had that much pure like adrenal pleasure into my right into my brain than 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 reading issues of that comic. That's a good story. Makes warms Thank my you. yeah warms my and heart. that's a number and that's my number two. So it should tell you what I think of this number one that I'm right. Doing. That me too, because uh, my number two is not only one of my favorite licensed comics this is one of my all-time favorite comics and again the same name this time bill mantlow um 1979 marvel's rom (laughs) uh this was the comic that i pulled off my stack every time every month it came out at at the expense of x-men fantastic four amazing spider-man when rom was being published amazing spider-man was the second book that i read just let's just frame it right um the dire wraiths and brandy and torpedo and then all the the marvel universe showed up to have a good time ram is a classic uh series and again it's one of those books that you may never see collected chances chances are very good there will never be an omnibus or, or series of omnibuses of 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 ram and that's a damn shame because uh, Sal Basima did great work on there, and then when Aiken and Garvey came on, oh my God, they just they they took the magnificence of of Sal Basima and then made him look even better. Uh, it's just an amazing run. So yeah, Marvel Rom in at number two. 
That's great. I'll nullify anybody that doesn't agree with me. It's your list. Who's not going to agree with you? No one. That's okay. why I'm pulling out my nullifier. Okay. You can put it back in your pants. No. no. <laughs> this number two was, was probably tougher for me because I was... I, there's no... I mean, we can give our runners up later, but um, it was tough, and I was almost—I I almost felt like um, flipping a coin. But I think, in the end, I am going to go with Atari Force Volume Two from DC Comics. Jerry Conway, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez at the start, beautiful. Um, that graphic novel, Star Raiders, that kind of bridged the first volume and the second volume. Twenty-five years later, after the first, but it was—you know—you got. You got a character like Dart, who's great to look at, beautiful by um, Garcia Lopez. It was uh, it was another book where um, it only lasted about twenty issues, and it was it was different than the other DC books, um, obviously. But yeah, it just I love the look of it. I, I love the way Jose draws, but um, it was just different enough that I. For whatever reason, my, at that age, I just um, liked having something different. That was all. It, it was self-contained. It wasn't, uh, even though it had the DC bullet on the cover. Um, you know, didn't have to worry about. They weren't connected to the Justice League or anything else, and it was. Um, it was so. It was just so cool. It just. It looked great. It was science fiction. Um, I was all about it. So yeah, that, that, that's my number two. I wrestled with whether that counted or not. I did too. Yeah, I and, too. and I I think it's fine because like, but but I I use it as an excuse not to put it on there because I was like, I don't know if it's like what we're really talking about, so I didn't put it on there. But in terms of just the spirit of the of the category, it would be in there for me. Like I love that book, and it broke my heart when when they teased us with the Atari yes, Force uh, Collected Edition and then canceled it. So, fuckers. so I mean, if 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 you guys call an audible, it's very easy for me to slide another number two in there. Oh no, I think that's perfectly that's, fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So my my number one numero uno um, is a more modern adaptation, and it is Buffy the Vampire Slayer by Dark Horse. Nice. Um. It's the closest I've ever gotten to getting my wife to read comics. <laughs> um, and I say closest because it still never happened. Uh, I couldn't get her over the hump, but I was close. Uh, and so for those of you who don't know, um, at the time it was a pretty novel thing because Buffy, which was Joss Whedon's claim to fame uh, before he was a mega famous director and then before he was Me Too'd, uh, um, he he did this show uh, starring Sarah Michelle Gellar, and it was a you know a hit. I don't know that it was a massive hit. It was more like a a cult hit, I guess. Fair to say, right? Like I was into it, so I don't remember. But I don't remember being like a massive, massive like ratings juggernaut. But it was one of those things where a certain select group of people that were really into it were really into it, and it was one of the shows that my wife and I watched together. Um, and and even though we've been together happily for 25 years we we don't have a lot of overlap with tv we don't watch a lot of the same stuff so it's always nice when we had something and buffy was something that we would watch um must see tv um and we, we had the dvds and we rewatch we re-watched the whole thing 
loved Angel, which spun out of it, the whole thing. So when the show TV show ended after seven seasons, it was a bummer. Like any time one of your favorite shows ends, it's, it stinks. And then Joss announced that he was going to do season eight as a comic book, and he was going to write the comic. And the book was the original. The, many artists have, have done Buffy books subsequently, but the original artist was George George's Genty. And I loved that fact that we were going to get more Buffy. And so Buffy season eight was terrific, and it was a pure follow-on to the TV show because it was written by Joss. So it was in canon, so to speak. And, um, you know, and, and I like, there's some timeliness to this because like, I don't know as some of our younger listeners, maybe who are listening, I, Joss Whedon may just be, you think of him as like, Oh, a guy who did a few big tentpole movies. Um, but there was a period of time where he was sort of like at the epicenter of, of like geek pop culture in terms of that. And then Firefly and the like, and, uh, Serenity and all that. And, 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 and so, I just thought that book was terrific. It was well done. I thought Genty was a perfect artist because one of the things that I think can go wrong with licensed books or any comic really, but it happens a lot with licensed books are either subpar art because the people who hold modern licenses don't have the budget to pay huge page rates sometimes or because it's licensed work that's based on a live action thing. The characters are drawn either so off model that it's off putting or so photorealistic that it's off-putting. I think it's very delicate to balance that. And I, per- personally speaking, I think George Genty, what he did with Buffy was was perfection in that regard. Every character looked on model. You could you could definitely tell who they were, and they evoked the ar- actors that, that, that portrayed them on the TV show. But it was not photoref. It was not taken from screen caps. It was his own cartooning renditions of those people. Um, I just adored the book, and, and and I read I read subsequent Buffy comics for a long time, and I do go back in every now and then, and, and they have maintained, I think, a very high quality, generally speaking. Admittedly, the cultural zeitgeist of Buffy comics now, even though they come out now, isn't as high as it was then, but I just think that for my money, um, the Dark Horses did as perfect a job with a modern interpretation of a licensed property as you can do, and so... Uh, it is my number one with a bullet. Cool. Or with a stake, I should say. Nice. Yeah, very fitting. Uh-huh. Uh, my number one, and um, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think it's the greatest licensed comics of all time. Hands down. Nothing compares. Uh, some come close, but um, what Marvel did with Conan, the yeah. original uh, uh you know, uh, Savage Tales, Savage Sword, mm-hmm. um, the on the the Conan proper four color comic, uh, all the way up for me to like the late the mid nineties with um, what Roy did with uh, Raphael Kayanan with Conan the Adventurer. I think it's there have there was some um, less than stellar Marvel uh, Conan comics, but for the most part. I think it is a it's a just a beautiful uh testament to what can be achieved when a licensed character is placed in the hands of a writer uh without peer. And that's Roy Thomas. I think he knew the character. He appreciated what Robert E. Howard did and he wanted to do the the author proud by uh <laughs> doing justice to his character. 
you get Barry Windsor Smith on a book, and it's just ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, I think um, Marvel's Conan, for me, is the number one unchallenged king of uh, licensed comics. I would have been gobsmacked if that wasn't your pick. Yeah. Seriously. You know me. Um, well, you probably know me as well then. Um, although there were different different publishers and different volumes at those publishers, but without a doubt, um, there's one specific era of this title of this franchise that um, that really sings to me, and that is... Um, Star Trek from DC. This was um, this was the volume. This was the series published in 1984, following um, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. So it's it's um, it's post. It, it it's it's it is it's set in in that era. The, the Marvel version, the, the first volume from Marvel, followed. Um, the motion picture, uh, so that really kind of um, wasn't a thing. The um, but the series from DC when DC got the license, it was of course post Spock's death. So um, you know you're kicking off a Star Trek series without one of the main characters, but um, they absolutely made it work. Uh, Mike Barr wrote a handful of the first issues or about maybe the first year and change, but the art was by Tom Sutton pencils by Tom Sutton inks by Ricardo Villagran. And it was gorgeous. He, the way he made Shatner look, the way he made Frost Kelly look, they all, they all depart. They did. They like what Jason's talking about with the Buffy book. Uh, Yeah. Obviously, you know who they're supposed to be. It's not heavy photo reference, but um it it's not they're all Sutton has a way where he's drawing the likeness without making it look 3D or or, or just your eyes just drawn to that and it's distracting and and all the technology and on the on the bridge or anything like that just seems out of place because there's so much detail in the face that that doesn't exist here um but this this first series uh only ran for about um 50ish 55 56 issues uh, some of my highlights are the um, are the annuals. The first annual is about the uh, the first mission, the first of of the first time, first mission out of their five year mission. So Christopher Pike is is in the book. It's it's a flashback tale, obviously. The second volume is the final mission of their five year mission uh, with art by Dan Jurgens, and that was and it, and it kind of lets you it it it's leaves things hanging so that would be picked up in, in the motion picture. So, you know, you get an appearance by Will Decker and things like that. But the third volume, the third annual, um, penciled by Kurt Swan, it's written by, by Peter David, but it's called Retrospect. And I loved this particular annual because uh, it was all about Scotty. And it dealt with the death of his wife. And it also um, had the uh, the funeral of Peter Preston, who was um, the uh, the cadet or the ensign who was um, killed when in, in um, the Wrath of Khan uh, down uh, below deck. But it was um, 
Golden Oliver was it was the most consecutive of of the Star Trek volumes that DC published. I have bought more issues from this run. the The second volume that that this this particular volume was the newsprint 60, 65, 75 cent issues. Then when the second volume came out, that was on the Baxter paper that ran a lot longer. That's mostly more or less written by Peter David. You got some JMS, you got a bunch of other writers in there as well. Um, but when that volume kicked off, that's also around the same time DC had the license for the next generation. So, so they kind of ran concurrently. Those were great stories. Um, and because it's kind of towards the end of, the original series movie run and it's the early days of the next generation when those issues were coming out it it's because of the the first DC's first volume the newsprint version because uh, it does take place during that good chunk of movies during they're, they're, they're in our great trilogy of two three and four um I it's got a special place in my heart I, I it's it it's where there are some some things it doesn't you know, you, you it, it, it's like bad pizza. There's no such thing of it. Like even if, even if I were to read one of the other, even if I'm going to read a Malibu Star Trek series it's issue, you know, it's still, it's still a Star Trek issue. You know, it's still going to be fun. I'm still going to have fun with it. Um, it might not be the cream of the crop, like what I might consider, but it's still a Star Trek comic. But when it comes to when when I think you know, I mean Conan and 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 Buffy now, but um, yeah, all these other properties now alien they've they've moved around to different publishers and and star trek definitely has it i'm amazed sometimes at how many different publishers have actually published star trek comics but uh this one from dc is just i think i told vince today is it it's just chef's kiss to me Mwah. yes there you go and our slack buddies have spoken as I said, we have solicited. What did they say? A bunch of them responded. Uh, John O. And these are all in uh, ascending order. John O. listed the Marvel Shogun Warriors and Godzilla. He has a tie in number five, which, which probably, you know, destroys that. But what are you going to do? Um, number four is Transformers, Micronauts in three, G.I. Joe number two, and ROM number one. Wow. Uh, let's see who else we have. Tim B. says uh, G.I. Joe Cobra the last Mommy. laugh flash gordon uh the dynamite series by jeff oh, parker yeah. that was good tom sholey's transformers versus gi joe number two is rom number one is marvel's conan uh the, the, the bronze right there yeah the bronze stuff um frank lanza uh dark horse aliens uh marvel conan the barbarian the bronze Marvel G.I. Joe, Marvel Transformers, and then number one, the Inhumanoids. That is the most it's, Yeah. God love Frank. <laughs> you gotta love him. And um, I no surprise from our buddy Chris Revikant because he is very, very specific. Uh, number five, Simpsons. Four, G.I. Joe Cobra, the Chaken. Uh, yeah. Three is Transformers Generation 2. Two is Devils Do G.I. Joe. And number one, Transformers More Than Meets the Eye forward slash Lost Light, which was two really great series from IDW. Brian Clark says Dark Horse Aliens, number one, Marvel Ren and Stimpy. I completely blanked on that. Yeah. Valiant. That was on my list. Was it? Yeah, right. Uh, Gary Fields. Uh, Valiant Zelda, IDW Sonic the Hedgehog, and number five, Ghostbusters from IDW. What else? Do you guys want to? 
pick it up uh, just yeah. to keep uh, the, the Rod, narrative. Oh, you'll never guess what Rod's number one is. Uh. Well, you, you skipped one. I did. I'm yeah. jumping around. So. Oh, okay. Uh, IDW Doctor Who. IDW over Titan. That's interesting. I didn't know IDW did Doctor Who. There you go. But there you go. Uh, two from Star Comics, Count Duckula and Thundercats. I actually had um, Defenders of the Earth as uh, on, on my initial list when I was breaking things down. Uh, Mandrake, yo. Trek and uh, Marvel's G.I. Joe from Rod. Wraps it up. Hmm. Our man Brian Newbery uh, gives just four. He likes to march to the beat of his own drummer. Uh, Marvel's <laughs> Rum. Marvel Micronauts, DC's most recent Masters of the Universe, and the Boom Power Rangers. So maybe he meant the multiple Power Rangers books. I'll say that's what he meant. <laughs> uh, T. Thomas, Marvel's G.I. Joe, Dark Horse Conan, uh, Dark Horse Star Wars, Marvel Star Wars, the modern stuff, the post right. uh, Jason Aaron stuff, and Archie Comics' Sonic the Hedgehog, which Vince so, has a whole run of. I did. I have oh. been uh, giving 10... Or eight issue chunks out to the patrons in the care package. Nice. Oh, no, they're, they're they're great books. Very very yeah, very wonderful books. Um, Austin Ellis, number five, Slaughterhouse Five. Mommy. And he says JB Wood was right. Because he knows. Yeah, okay. Uh, number four, Alien: Dead Orbit by James Stokoe. Amazing. Three, Star Wars: Hair to the Empire. Heir, uh, heir to the Empire. Yeah. Uh, two is Planet of the Apes by Gabe and Karina Becko. That's a wait. Good... Hold on. Yes, but if he's going to say Planet of the Apes by Gabe and Karina Becko, he's also got to say and Mark Laming and Carlos Mano. Yes, just saying. Carlos isn't a friend of the show. No, right. but but surely yes. Um, Right. Uh, number one is the Godzilla Half Century War by Jave Stoko, which was a Man, those are really picks. awesome yeah. picks. Yeah, I love every one of those comics. In fact, like I, as you guys know, I wasn't a big Planet of the Apes film fan, but the the modern Planet of the Apes comics are because of not really being into the old films are my favorite Planet of the Apes stuff. So wow! Next time we go to a convention and we're at your house, we are watching at least. Planet of the Apes and Beneath the Planet of the Apes. It's entirely possible I'll appreciate them now more than I did oh, as a kid. Oh, they're glorious. Yeah. If you yeah. can separate yourself from the fact that Charlton Heston is an asshat and just <laughs> you know accept him as Taylor, uh, he's only in one movie. Well, one in a quarter. Right. 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 Um, Arnie, uh, number three. Yeah. Neil, dude. Pardon me? You skipped over Neil. I did. How did I do that? I don't know. Neil, I'll do it. Neil, Shogun Warriors, Star Wars, Transformers, and G.I. Joe, all Marvel OG. And his fifth was Battle of the Planets from Top Cow. Yeah. Now, now that is something I think I would have loved, but I didn't read it. That book was hotter than hell at one time. I remember. Yeah, like you couldn't touch the back issues. Uh, But then as as goes the way of most of those things in comics it just kind of fell off after a while and now yeah. you can yeah i can get it for like peanuts but at one time tough uh so arnie's arnie only has three and he apologizes for that but you know number three is marvel's conan number two is marvel's star wars and number one is absolutely no surprise uh-huh. is from boom and that's power rangers yeah, I got to read the next one because it's so close to my list, it's not even funny. 
Mr. Chris, Chris Chavez. We are brothers from another mother. Yeah, he's got his list a little flipped, but that's okay. Uh, number five, he says it's <laughs> Marvel's Conan. Four is Rom. Three is Shogun Warriors. Four or two is Marvel's Godzilla. And in his number one spot, respect is uh, Micronauts from Marvel. You know it. Yeah, Jason's abstaining, which was a total lie. That was a lie, of course. Yes. Uh, Bryce Bridges didn't abstain. In fact, he and he, this is something we haven't seen yet. Uh, Boom slash Archaea's The Dark Crystal. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, they're good books. Yeah, I, I've heard they're good. I haven't read them, but I, I was into the movies uh, or the movie. Uh, Dark Horse Tarzan, Carson of Venus. My man. <laughs> Dark Horse Conan by Busiek, which I agree is an excellent run. Uh, Boom's Power Rangers. Very popular choice. This current boom run of Power Rangers. And uh, and Marvel, Conan, the OG, is uh, Bryce's number one. Trevor comes in with Micronauts from Marvel, Aliens from Dark Horse, Star Trek from DC, Godzilla from IDW, and Conan from Marvel. Right. Good old Patrick says, Dark Horse Buffy, which yep. he overlays IDW Angel after the fall, IDW Star Trek boldly go. Dark like, Horse, yeah, Dark Horse Star Wars. And you know, I, I can't fault him for this. Number one for him is, well, it's not number one. It may be number one, but it's at the top of his list. Mm -hmm. uh, Dark Horse Conan. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Joel Swain yeah, uh, says he has four, um, but I'm not mad at him. Number four, Clue Candlestick by Dash Shaw. Good choice. Yeah. yeah. Number three, Alien Dead Orbit. Number two, uh, Crayon Layer. Shout out G.I. Joe versus Transformers. Woo -woo. And number one, uh, not the only time we've seen this at number one, Godzilla The Half Century War. Awesome. Hassan, I feel like I could have probably just waited for him to post his and just take it. <laughs> uh, number five, he's got Dark Horse Star Wars. Number four, he's got DC Star Trek. Number three, he's got Marvel Star Wars, the original run. Number two is Atari Force from DC. And number one is Marvel's Micronauts. Yeah. And bringing up the rear, but not in our hearts, Kevin Quas. Five, Warlord of Mars from Dynamite. Little bit of a side eye, my dude. Uh, number, number, <laughs> <laughs> number four, Planet of the Apes from Boom. That's right. Uh, three is Conan, Marvel, the Bronze Age. Two, Uncle Scrooge from Gemstone. Redeemed. You have redeemed That's yourself, high. my son. <laughs> and number one, Conan from Dark Horse, the Busick Nord series, which was, uh, you know, there's no wrong answers. This was a great exercise. It um, not only gave uh, me some insight into what uh, fuels the uh, hearts and minds of our slackers, but it kind of revealed that I have at least, you know, I've been touched by mr bill mantlow doug munch and they they have imprinted whatever they did uh to make those wonderful comics have just like tainted me or i should say branded me forever and it's it's inescapable i cannot get away from these comics mm -hmm. now I think was, we can all agree that you're touched i mean that's oh yeah. oh super uh, touched yeah the, the uh where does nice. um because i mean i when i started just throwing a bunch of books on the list and then whittled it down to the five but um i'm curious vince uh where would it be on your top 10 where would clive barker's nightbreed fall 
Oh, love those books. Yeah. Uh, Blevins did a wonderful job on that series. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't think it would be in the top 10. Okay. Yeah, but it would definitely be in the, the top 20. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. cause I, I, had... I mean, Vince didn't have Transformers on his list, which I, no. I was. No, yeah. Uh, Transformers no. would be top 10, definitely. Okay. But right. I, 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 I G.I. Joe wouldn't have been right. No, G.I. Joe wouldn't even be in my top 100. Oh, that's, that's I'm not being I'm hurt. no I'm not being mean I'm not trying to hurt you I I never connected with GI Joe in a meaningful way never mm-hmm. the, it's just interesting you did with Transformers though because time shifting they were identically timed they were but there is something infinitely more cool than a transforming robot than a soldier whose goal is to uh, you know protect the uh, the empire. The, you know, United States, <laughs> whatever. So the um, I some of the things that I had that I ended up talking my way out of having on the list. Um, the original, the two issues of Blade Runner from Marvel from back in the day, because that was just a straight up adaptation. So that's not necessary, and it's only two issues. Yeah, and I, 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 I wouldn't have felt right. I mean, and, and Blade Runner twenty nineteen, I'm loving it. But not that it would make my top five. I still haven't seen that movie, the new Blade Runner. Twenty twenty forty nine. Yeah, I need to. I I, yeah. I own it. We own the digital and digital copy. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I bought it for a flight, and I I just haven't watched it on Apple. But uh, yeah. Um, there was Robotech: The Macross Saga from Kamiko, which is again Ooh, Jesus. That, yeah, and, and Jay's got was, a huge boner. You just yeah, gave. I forgot was, about that. It didn't yeah. even cross my mind today. No, Damn, it was, that's good. It, it was. It was my number six. Um, Shit, yeah, that's the, good. Uh, there was um, Valiant published uh, a couple of sliders miniseries. They did. They did. Wait, I, like sliders, I, like time jumping, my man. Yeah. Yes, like, yes, Jerry O'Connell. Yes. Wait, what? Yes, oh, my come dude. On. You didn't oh, know. I might have to bin dive. So. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Stop the presses! Holy right? shit! <laughs> It take wait no you know what this I I have to be honest it's so ridiculous that sliders is the book that's gonna get you (laughs) to bin dive right listen real talk Jerry O'Connell was like I he was like in my mind like the famous version of me he was like the good looking fame like I was like that I identified with him like chubby kid stops being chubby when he's a teenager like it was you know in geeky films and movies like it was my dude okay. It was, uh, th- there's only a handful of issues. There's like uh, there, there's two issues of the. It, actually, it's it's when Valiant was was under acclaim, uh, so it's the acclaim Armada imprint. But uh, yeah, there's there's sliders. There's sliders Darkest Hour that was three issues. There's a slider special that was three issues. Man. The classic episode soft. Oh, I think that's just a. Would Hitman qualify for this because it was a video game? No, no. Why? Because it wasn't connected to DC. Oh, you're talking the the acclaim comp. Mm. I'm not saying it'd be on the list. I'm saying would that have qualified? I guess it would have, right? I don't know. Super Mario Brothers would. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, But would Shadow Man? No. No, no, because it was a comic first. But right, yeah. Um, I had Brendan Stimpy. I had uh, the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. Was was uh, was on here initially, and uh, like I said, Defenders of the Earth, and and what was easy to to, to swap out was um, DC published eleven issues of uh, 
of a bi-monthly of a smallville smallville bi-monthly and it was a um it, it tied into this to, to the show obviously but um some things are just better the way they're initially consumed and 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 as fun as the 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 comic had some decent stories had some good art but um i would just much rather sit down and watch the show but yeah mm-hmm. um yeah Ro- Ro- robotech being on there was was definitely something i could have and and the thing is it's like because initially those were adaptations of of the cartoons but uh you had there was the macross saga there was uh the next generation the new generation and um fuck what was the third one there were three from Kamiko, but but yeah macro saga has some great art I, mm-hmm. I, I i love that book so it's interesting we had 13 different books out of 15 slots and the only um the only one that was on all three lists were was micronauts yeah it is a great book mm-hmm. yep and then it went to idw and and cullen bun shit all over it but uh, <laughs> I, I, wait, I gotta speak the truth um I had number uh, for number six I had Marvel Shogun Warriors I, uh, I was surprised that I mean it, I, I knew that one or two of them wouldn't be able to make your list because it was only a top five but right. I, yeah, I figured that was certainly on the in the running seven was Hellraiser mm. uh, okay. eight was Duckman okay I love those books and I don't have a complete one of them. So if anybody has any Duckman from, uh, uh, I believe it was Tops, right? I need him. Um, and of course, uh, Nightbreed. Um, yeah. And, and Transformers is in there somewhere. Um, not only Marvel's, but I love the, the DW Transformers. I love IDW's Transformers. Yeah, but we a uh, little uh, further peek behind the curtains. Jason's like, "Are we going to do top bottom for this?" And I'm like, "My man, a, a bottom five licensed comics. Like the rule for licensed comics is they're really not good." Yeah, it's true. Right? The 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 cream mm-hmm. is the exception to the rule. More often than not, for what the reasons that Jason stated early on in this list, licensed comics usually aren't very good. It's only yeah. in in recent years that licensed comics became very very good. Yep. Um so the a bottom 5 would be pointless because it'd be like everything uh, outside of your top 10 you know could fall into mm-hmm. the bottom 5. So for that reason, we didn't do it. But uh, yeah, I'm um, surprised that um, not only with our list, but I'm less surprised about our list. But I'm surprised by all of our patrons' list that that we didn't see at least a few mentions of the. Uh, a- well, we saw some Alien, I guess, but I was going to say Alien or Predator because I feel like those are two very long running, yeah, uh, and, and thus seemingly successful. Because if then, why would they keep publishing stuff every year if it wasn't? Uh, you know, they both were at Dark Horse and now are both at uh, Marvel. But um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I hope that was fun. Uh, we'll be doing it this. Was ag- fun. It's always fun when we do a list. Uh, we'll be doing one of these very soon. If you would like to suggest a top bottom uh, pair, please uh, send us an email. Hit us up on the the socials. Um, if you're on our Slack, we'll we'll already know. But there are ways to contact us. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, you can also leave comments on the uh, Patreon uh, site directly. Um, we don't mention that often, but you can people do like every post. We always have posts on Patreon, and then we always get two or three comments directly on there. And it's yeah. uh, it's good to remind people that if you're not on the Slack or or not a frequent user of social media, which seems to be ever increasing number of you, 
myself included, um, then um, then you can you can hit us up on Patreon directly. Yeah. There's the and there's the community page, so you can kind of just you don't have to wait for us to post something to comment on that. You can kick off your own uh, your own question or post or anything like that. Um, I don't know if I have posts enabled on the website. I should check that. Right, I should enable posts on the website. More often than not, we'll get. Do you want to be rock hard? But at the expense of that, we we can get like no, the average person that listens because not a, you know, no, if they if if they sign up, um, there's a uh, it's it's a discus um, login, so they can they they can leave comments. They just have to log in with the discus ID. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah. So there are many many ways to contact us, yeah, and the, there, uh, there's even a, a hotline number. There is a hotline number. Before I give you that hotline number, I will remind. I, I, I'm now that I see you. Is so it was the Macro Saga, the New Generation, and Robotech Masters. How can I forget that? The, Masters. Yep. 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 The phone number is nine one four again two four six two one zero two, or you can email us at info at eleven o'clock comics dot com. Right. Now we got some comic business to take care of, and I want to get a few things out of the way. Uh, before Jason launches into his list, because looking at the Slack, Jason has a ton of things on his list, and most of them, at least in my eyes, are OGNs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I want to hear about those. But um, this is the rare instance where Jason and I are going to tag team. Is it really as rare as you're making it out to be? It's kind of rare. I mean, we either all go... no. Wait, listen, hear me out. We either, all three of us go in deep on something, or it's usually Dap and I that'll tag team. You and I rarely just go mano a mano. That's hand to hand on, um, on, on a book. And in this, this case, though, it's very special because we, Jason and my. I agree with your, your, your opening premise, but I'm going to go with it. Of course. For the sake of love and, and, and emotional stewardship, I'm going to go with you. So let's go. All right. Uh, Jason and myself have read. From Viz, it is a uh, repackaged edition of uh, Junji Ito's 2005 Hellstar Ramina. In this case, it's just called Ramina. Um, Publishing a beautiful, beautiful hardcover from Viz, as I said. And it's a bit of a departure from the the regular uh, Junji Ito library because the, the, the spine is done in a matte finish. Um, but the very texture, uh, textural finish. But, oh, it's a gorgeous package. But the main cover and the back cover are are uh, clay coated. It, they're very shiny and leaves lots of fingerprints. So uh, it's a nice counterpoint to the spine, which is very matte, and then you have the gloss on the front and back covers. But um, wow, it is. Uh, I, I, I've read the entirety of the Viz Junji Ito library, and this is the most unsettling Junji Ito book to date. Uh, mm, interesting. I, yeah. I, it, I, it, I, well, it, let me ask you, do you think that the timing of it, it because this was put out in 2005, but we're getting the English version in 2020, which I think plays a role in our our reception of it maybe maybe but it's unrelenting horror 
uh, on a mind-boggling scale. Like you've you've heard us talk about um, Uzumaki and Gyo and and uh, you know the the Shiver and Tomi uh, Tomi yeah. Uh, the, the Ito has an approach to horror that that's very um, soul shaking, but in this case. I feel like he discovered or he adopted a new, uh, a different approach that just, it, it, it shook my foundation going in because I didn't expect it. it it's it, his, his, his idea of horror is more subtle than this. Like this is horror on a cosmic Lovecraftian scale. Yeah. That's the thing, right? Right. I, I Whereas say for you, it's, you're far more steeped in the Lovecraft, uh, history and magnum opus than i am but right. but i i i mean it, this felt to me reading it just it was just steeped in love i mean this this as i was reading it i'm thinking oh okay this is ito's love letter or take on lovecraftian storytelling like, and that's how i took it and it's totally ridiculous the oh, the, yeah. the things that happen over the course of this story are impossible number one <laughs> uh <laughs> if they did involve uh, beings of flesh and blood, they would have expired not long into the narrative. Like it, it's just rid- as Jason would say, redonkulous what some of these characters go through in this in this story. But the the big picture, uh, the Professor Ogoro discovers a wormhole. All right, and he gets a Nobel Prize for his discovery. And not long after discovering this wormhole, a planet emerges from it so you go okay this is cool let's have a press conference we'll talk about it uh here it is here's the planet and i'm gonna name it after my beautiful daughter ramina wow this is great so because ramina is named after this newly emerged planet she attains a level of celebrity uh so much so that she acquires a manager and then a sponsor and then a president of her fan club, right? And she's a beautiful girl, very attractive girl. And and so she climbs up the, the ladder of fame, and she's on the on the lips of everyone. And and uh, you know they just can't get enough of Romina. But something starts to happen with the uh, planetary namesake, let's just say, and it it's been monitored. And they they track the progress of this planet Ramina over the you know through the firmament, and as it passes celestial bodies, it seems to be consuming them. So it's on the fringes of our solar system, and uh, it's like oh well, it looks like Pluto has disappeared. Well, there goes uh, Neptune and Uranus. What the hell's happening here? Wait a minute. Um, and so on and so on until the planet gets within um, very uncomfortable uh, proximity to Earth. And here's where the story starts to get a little stupid. <laughs> yeah, the uh, planet Ramina starts to exhibit human qualities. It has uh, what looks like a, an all-seeing eye erupts on the surface. And then a giant tongue Nasty tongue. Nasty tongue uh, uh, emerges from the planet and actually licks the earth. 
like I said, it's ridiculous. Uh, but the the population of the Earth, um, those who were very quick to deify um, Ramina, the female human version, um, flip, and they vilify her. They say, okay, if uh, this this young lady was named for this planet, well, there must be a connection. Uh, Professor Agoro and his daughter must be pulling this planet into Earth's, Earth's proximity. They, they have to be involved in this because the, this young girl has the same name as the planet. So she must be involved in this whole thing. So they, they th- do everything in their power to kill Ramina. They, they try and um, there, there's a religious component to this book where um ramina and her father at one point in the narrative are uh actually mock crucified and it's very telling because the her father professor agoro they stab him in the side with spears if you know your religion right you know spear of destiny that's not too far removed from the christ uh mythology right Stabbed in the side, uh, whatever. Um, so the the story it, it is a, a cosmic horror on a Lovecraftian scale on one hand, but on the other hand, it's a very telling examination of the cult of personality. How yeah. fickle, yeah, how mm-hmm. fickle humanity is. Because um, uh, um, on day one, we will be um, nothing but enamored with celebrity X. And by the end of the week, we'll wish them dead. And that's, that's, and, and Dap said, well, is, is this the, Army Hammer? Yeah, is the theme of this book, like, is it very deep? No, it's not super deep, but I think it's contemporary, uh, yes. to the point where, you know, we, we are, we have a problem, at least in the United States, um, with the cult of personality. Where uh, a person can rise to a, a a position of prominence, where their words and their deeds have very serious consequences on society at large, and in in this story, Ramina's very um, uh, she she's keeps to herself and she doesn't. She's very demure. She she's yeah. always, she's reluctant until until we get to the book. I mean, she's been offered clearly offered more fame and riches. And has largely uh, eschewed it, and then at this point, as Vince alluded, she's she's now considering going ahead and taking one of these offers because it's like too much money to, to say no to. But right. it's, it's, she's a reluctant. She's 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 a world famous Kardashian esque uh, figure, but but reluctantly so. She's, she's, I think she's, I think the Kardashian esque is perfect because Ramina basically did nothing. To achieve yeah, fame, she just exists. Yeah. yeah, other than having been named, or or having been the source of the name for this right. new planet that emerges, she really has no talent other than being beautiful. And there's a gazillion uh, beautiful women out there, uh, but the the men uh, around her start to multiply. Where you have a manager who uh, takes her on. Uh, he's not altruistic. Uh, I mean, he's deeply in love with her, as is her sponsor, the son of a very, very wealthy um, 
construction magnate. Uh, and then you have the president of her fan club that would throw himself in front of a bus for her for no apparent reason other than she's beautiful. She really doesn't have all that prominent of a personality. She's kind of a cipher for just beauty in general. And these men will do anything to get a piece of this beauty. She's uh, You could not sit at a table uh, for any length of time and have a conversation with Romina. She, there really doesn't seem to be all that much there. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jason. Hundred percent. She's she's a vessel, you know. Yeah. She laments the fact that all of this destruction and bloodshed is being caused in her name. She's very very sad, uh, remorseful. Uh, she 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 uh, when when she loses her father, she's very. Uh, uh, it, it takes her down emotionally and 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 uh, not only that, but spiritually and and in terms of her. Uh, well-being mentally it takes her down a bunch of pegs like she's just uh, uh, on fumes for a large part of the narrative as everyone tries to get her but when you have a planet that emerges within earth orbit and you don't have massive uh, upheaval in terms of uh, you know the tides causing destruction and it's just like like I said there's a lot of very silly things that Junji Ito did with this book like a, a planet with a giant tongue that licks the earth and spins the earth like a top and you have characters that are that are being propelled by the the, the motion of the planet like flying like Superman and they they end up underwater and they don't drown they end up being thrown through uh windows and they don't die and it's just it it's very far-fetched but ultimately i think the book is profoundly unsettling i i i i don't want to use the word terrifying because i think that's to say something you read was terrifying is a is a far overestimation of of what it's doing like if you're terrified Mm -hmm. you shit your pants you can't hold a book so yep. to say that this book terrified me, bruh, come on, what's a drama? But yep. it, it, it's very unsettling. It, yep. I guarantee that after you read this book, this book will stick with you far longer than uh, most mm-hmm. things. It, it, it's, it's disturbing <laughs> on a level that I didn't even think Ito was capable of. Like I knew the dude was a little bit broken, but <laughs> this book is like – Wow. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It's. It, I'm going to make a, a comparison that's going to probably seem out there and people are going to give me the side eye. But it uh, after I got done reading it, it reminded me of The Mist, the film. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And the reason I say that is, and spoilers to those of you who haven't seen The Mist, the film, and have been like saving it for a special occasion. <laughs> um, the premise of, of, of The Mist, it's a Stephen King short story that turned into a film, um, is suddenly out of nowhere um a fog rolls into this town in maine and um there are creatures living in the fog and um and the 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 i think the power of the story and and the power of the film is that they're all trapped in a grocery store for the for the 95 percent of the film and they're not sure how far the mist extends so they say well listen we, we can't stay here right our, our the the walls are getting destroyed our doors are 
not secure. We need to so let's make a let's make a run for it. And and once they get out into the mist and and get to their vehicle and start driving, they realize that the mist uh, not only is is in their town but is is global. It extends globally. And once they realize that, and they realize that the creatures that they've been dealing with, which are uh, gigantic, horrible beasts that that would give you nightmares forever, are like gnats compared to some of the other dark creatures. It's very Lovecraftian too. It's it, these, definitely these almost yeah. almost skyscraper sized dark creatures are roaming the 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 areas where they finally drive to, and and it uh, again spoilers they end up just committing suicide in their car because they're like there's just no point like 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 there is no point there is no way out of this. And that's what this reminded me of in the sense that – a completely different story. But but just that the thing I loved about it is that um, from the moment that they discover the planet and then it evokes like the Independence Day like classic action like – oh, or, alien, or Mars attacks where it's like, oh, this thing's an actual threat to us. Let's, let's deal with it. But then – in Edo, he's like, nah, there is no dealing with it. Like, yeah, it gets silly, and, and like Vince said, there's some 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 wild stuff to it. But at the end of the day, this is a cosmic primordial force of nature that so far supersedes humanity in every way that we are just the merest insignificant curiosity to it. But there is at no moment do we have any hope of surviving it. No, it, none. It, once once it's once it sets its eye, once it it makes eye contact, quite literally. With Doctor Ogura, sixteen years before, our fate as a species is over. We just don't right. know it yet. That's another uh, thing that I failed to mention. That when uh, the the planet Ramina was sixteen light years away, and the daughter is actually sixteen. So right. the the population surmised that well, if this is sixteen light years away, it was cre- It was it emerged sixteen years ago with the birth of Ogura's daughter. And what are the chances that he would not only discover this planet, but rename the planet uh, to his daughter's name? And it's just that the, it, it, there's a lot of stupidity in this book, too. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a point where, um, like, the, the stuff is really going down. There's destruction on a planetary scale. And um, the... Uh, her sponsor, Romina's sponsor, is the son, as I said, of a shipping magnate. And the, the, there was a, 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 a team of astronauts that were sent to planet Romina to, to survey the place. And the name of the lead astronaut sounds somewhat similar to the son of the shipping magnate, where he's like, oh, that's gotta be my long lost son. The, the name is so similar. And there's no, evidence at all that this that this astronaut is this mag, uh, magnate's son but he he goes out on a limb to assume because he he wants to draw the line between the the mind crushing reality of him you know not surviving this and the fact that this is long lost son is going to save them there's there's no evidence at all but yet he leaps to the conclusion that oh gotta be and we see this kind of um, leap of of rationale every single day in the news. Oh, geez, this has to be Antifa going into the Capitol building. It can't <laughs> be uh, like seriously. There's no evidence, but yet you you say these things because yeah. you want them to be true. It's right. it's creative visualization. If I think it, it will happen, mm-hmm. and it that's that's not how reality works, right? But. Yeah. Um, and of course, the, it, it, 
Ito such an amazing writer where he does introduce the long lost son of the shipping magnate, but it is in no way, shape, or form related to the team of astronauts that went to Ramina. And it's brilliant when he does it because the the dumbass uh, father gets his comeuppance in a really dis- extremely disturbing way. <laughs> I won't go into it, but um, yeah, uh, I have been uh, with the Junji Ito collection from the inception. This is by far, Ramina is by far the icing on the cake. Hmm. I never thought I would say that. Uh, Uzumaki, Gyo, like all the things we've talked about Junji yeah. Ito has done. Uh, it just seems like uh, he can't get any better. And then you get this. This is the the crowning achievement in in the Junji Ito catalog for me so far. Even over Uzumaki. This book I, hits like a ton of bricks, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I can put it over Uzumaki, uh, although I wasn't really actively comparing them until just now, anyway. But but um, but yeah, and, and and the thing I liked about it is, like you said, I mean, he does lots of different types of horror, certainly, but this just felt like a bigger, even larger departure than what he normally does. Yeah, because I feel like most of his horror, even though it's depicted differently or it manifests differently, is ultimately about like psychosis and human belief yeah and human emotion and insecurity and and this is a much much different thing again i I think it's it's him showing his appreciation for lovecraft and the elder gods and this idea that uh there are just forces that so so far supersede the self-importance we put on our species that uh we need to be reminded every now and then of how insignificant we are in the cosmic extremely insignificant but um he's so savvy a writer that uh he introduces uh concepts and themes that allow you to form your own conclusions um there's a, a a trio i think of um massed acolytes of the ramina the planet and they're trying to get their hands. Uh, and, and they're hooded. They look like a picture of a, a, a clan member, but in black. And the eye holes in the, the, the hood are cut like um, the smog monster's eyes, where they're like almond-shaped, but they're vertical. It's really disturbing. And at one point, the ramine of the planet, the tongue emerges and it starts to lick the planet Earth. Simultaneously, the head of these masked individuals has Ramina in his clutches and is licking her cheek. So you're, as, a, as a, uh, an observer into this narrative, I'm thinking, well, what is the connection between this person and the planet? Is the person con- connected somehow? mentally uh with the is 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 the the human being now a puppet in servitude to the planet like what the fuck is going on here what are the chances that the planet ramina would lick the earth at the same time that this hooded character would lick ramina's cheek like it doesn't make uh, the 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 chances are minuscule that they're not related right but yet nothing was there's no culmination of it you can draw a lot, you can make the endpoint 
whatever you want because he doesn't he doesn't make good on it. He just introduces it and says, "Okay, chew on this, you sons of bitches." Um, maybe it means something, maybe it doesn't. I love that. Let me draw my own conclusion. In my mind, yeah, it means something because I don't think it's a coincidence. But your mileage may vary. But the the, the end point being, read this damn book. It will shake you. Yeah, and, and the other nice thing, and we've said this in other times discussing Ito, is um, I think we have a lot of... Um, manga interest among our crew but uh and, and i've said this myself it can be daunting because um you know there's often so many volumes of something and um you just you don't know if you're starting volume one if right. if it'll and, and with ito right that's not an issue his, his stuff he, hell we've talked about his two books of short stories i mean he he right. he, he writes single volume generally speaking you write single volume or double volume stories that that are easily digestible and and uh, are are just uh, almost like novellas relative to a normal manga storyteller so um yeah you could just sit, these are this is a one sitting read yeah and in terms of page count it's one of the slimmer oh yeah volumes sure. in the junji ito library yeah. so yeah, yeah it's, um if you had uh, heard of the um, the uh, mythology of Junji Ito, uh, and you you know you're just curious. Uh, this is the book to check out. But be warned, because um, this is, as far as I'm concerned, the pinnacle. So everything you read from here on in uh, is going to be you know secondary to this. I'm just saying. <laughs> It's cr- it's crazy disturbing. It's just you will not forget this book. Yeah, I didn't think it was possible that I could be surprised at this point in my life. But I'm surprised you didn't read this in the last 15 years in its original form. Well, it was available, uh, scanlated, but I don't like to really read the. Uh, I thought you might have come across it at like book off or something. No, nah, uh, well, no. Uh, no, this was my first uh, blush yeah. with Romina, and yeah, it's great for sure. For sure, there you go. Take it away, Dap. Dap you too. Um, all right. So the two future state books I have right next to me. Um, I'll start with our um, Green Lantern and. Dark Detective and Green Lantern. The um, the main story is great art by um, by Tom Rainey. It's written by Jeffrey Thorne. It's a story that involves John Stewart and Salak and Nort, and we only get one glimmer of a flashback where Kilowog is, is pleading with John. Uh, apparently there's no rings, nobody here, the three lanterns, none of them have a ring. It's laser swords and, and, and pistols and they're fighting. Um, a, uh, they're fighting a, a, an alien army. Um, that is, uh, appears to, I don't know if they're trying to. I don't, I don't know if this um, this 
it's weird. I, I'm not sure if they're if, if if the enemy is trying to um, uh, cleanse this planet. I'm not sure if if they. Um, I'm not sure who exactly the god in red is. I'm not sure if it's new to this or if it's a, a thread that uh, that they're picking up from past Green Lantern books. But um, this race comes and attacks the race, the inhabitants on this planet. Uh, the, the lanterns are trying to hold the line. Uh, there's a ship in orbit that um, John is basically in command of and the captain on the ship is uh she's following his orders and so so we we're we are literally in the thick of it right at the start so you're you're already playing catch up and and that's cool and it looks great it's very action-packed um nort seems to either be on a um on a really intense keto diet or my man's hitting the juice but I've never seen Nort this stacked and packed before. Um, and he, he looks to John as the alpha. Uh, he's basically, um, he's not, he's not a pet, but he's, he's very much, he's kind of like, he reminds me like of, of Timberwolf from, from the Legion of Superhero days. Um, or he, he's slightly feralish, but, uh, that's just because of the situation they're in. So, so the first, the meat of the issue is this particular, um story and it's continued in the next issue the other two stories are basically done in ones because they both end with a simple end at the last panel so there's no there's no hint that there's going to be a continuation which means that I, i'm thinking that the next that the second issue will um the next issue in this anthology will feature other lanterns in the backups and probably complete stories there but the first story is jessica cruz she's working on a um she's she's on a uh it, it's basically a, sta- a space station that's shaped like a lantern battery um and it's being boarded by lissa drack who's the keeper of the book of parallax uh low and ug one and they're both uh sinestro core members sinestro core enforcers um Jessica Cruz is, seems to be the station's mechanic, but uh, she's trying to keep the station secure and get rid of um, the Sinestro core members. Um, and and so a fight ensues, but because one of the yellow rings one of the yellow rings is basically attracted or, or, or attaches itself to Jessica and um, entices her with the whole welcome to the Sinestro core spiel. So, and, and the issue ends with her looking at the ring. She hasn't quite taken it, but will she, won't she? The third story uh, art by, um, oh, I'm sorry, the, the creators on the, um, the Jessica Cruz story are um ryan katie is your writer and sammy basri is the artist and the art is is really nice the book of guy is all about guy gardner 
It's written by Ernie Althbacker and art by Clayton Henry. I like Henry's version of Guy. Um, but Guy is sent to Sector 0345. It's the planet Rural. The planet Rurlin, R-E-R-L-I-N. And um, so he goes down to the planet to basically squash a um, squabble between um, two factions in this in this area. Um, and basically a piece of space junk landed and they're both claiming that, you know, it's a it's prophecy. It's from... Uh, it's one's from their God. It's from their God. And they're arguing over it. So guy just kind of squashes that. But while he's telling them what's going to happen, the ring just powers out, just conks out. No reason why he falls to the ground. And so he's basically, he's, he's, he, he learns the language. And over the course of, um, over the course of time, we see that, uh, you know, it's one year later, he, comes up with a makeshift warrior's bar he's kind of uh he's considered the prophet um and things are kind of calmer now than it's five years later five years apg which is um after prophet guy and he's still doing his thing he's still trying to you know, keep peace and then um and then we get 25 years later so guy's been here for a while um but the last page is fantastic um one of the younger members of uh, of the clan is is arguing or contesting that that guy is isn't is, isn't a prophet. Uh, it, it's all heresy. What he's saying, this, that, and the other, and um, and just before he's getting things back under control, Lobo shows up. And that's just that. That's it. That's the uh, you know, guy's just like I was so damn close. He face palms and then that story ends. So it was, I wasn't really anticipating after what I've read last week, I wasn't anticipating like just kind of done in one stories. And it's, this one was weird. I mean, it definitely felt like an issue of the old, um, Green Lantern Corps quarterly from back in the day. I, I, I dig an anthology of, of Green Lantern stories because there are so many members of the core. It, of all, of all of DC's books, the Green Lantern is, is ripe for an anthology. Um, you can get a ton of stories featuring all their characters on between two covers. It, it, it's a no brainer, but um, the backups were backups were, 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 were cool and all. I just, I want to know more about this first story. I don't know if we're going to get all we need to know in the second issue, but like you said, Vince, these are, um, these are shaping up to just be teases. Uh, but dark detective was, the clear winner for me. Um, the story, the main story, um, is by Mariko Tamaki and Dan Mora does your arts, Jordi Belair on colors. And um, whereas the next Batman was about uh, the Foxes, this one. This one is about Bruce Wayne. Um, and Bruce being on the run from Peacekeeper 01 and um, and he's hurt and he's wounded. Um, 
but the uh, the art is really stunning. I I, I absolutely adore. Um, I mean, I've, I've been a more fan for for a while now, but this is just fantastic seeing a sequential play. I know he's done he's done um, once in future. He's done some. Uh, pretty sure he's done some Power Rangers, and and I, I know I'm. No, he can handle it when it uh, comes to sequentials, but but seeing him drawing a futuristic Gotham um, is pretty slick. And I'm curious to know what year this is supposed to be because it's very everything's all very neon, but it's not like Bruce has really aged um, all that much. Whereas in the Justice League issue, the cover date on some of the comic books inside that story um, ended in '70, so you're telling me. It's 50 years in the future, but these characters don't really look all that as if they age 50 years. But um, the backup story in Dark Detective is a grifter story where um, he's basically, um, after a little bit of a skirmish at the beginning of the story, he's apprehended um, by the magistrate, and uh, which is the cop force in Gotham. And... Um, and Luke Fox is already in the back of the paddy wagon, uh, and they work on escaping. And it's it, it's it's a regular midnight run. Hijinks ensue. They don't um, they don't really get along well. It, it, Grifter Cole has his own plan, and and he just as I guess assumes Luke is going to follow along and can pick up pick up the um, the hints, and and it it so doesn't happen. So it's it's entertaining in. Um, in that regard, but but oh, both both stories were um, were solid for me. The uh, the story of um, the Grifter story is written by Matthew Rosenberg, which I don't I haven't seen him do too many DC stories, but this was um, I I I, th- I chuckled. It was it, 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 this one was in it. the the Grifter story. I got a kick out of. Um, the story itself. I mean, the art's great, but I enjoyed the story. Whereas the Batman story, I, I was so impressed um, with the visuals more than anything else. But yeah, I think um, I'm, I really, I, I, it's, I don't, because again, it is, these are only, uh, Detective, I think is only, is it a two issue series? I don't know if this is a two issue series or, or a four, but, um, four. Dark Detective is four. Okay, yeah. so it's it's it's. Uh, I guess we'll get a little bit more meat out of Dark Detective compared to some of the most of the Future State books. The most of them are all two issues, but um, I I would I would love to say you know of all the Future State books to date that I've read, Dark Detective is the one I would recommend. But if you're the type of person who wants some return on investment or just, you know, I want to get something complete or not even complete, but just, I want to know what's going on, uh, without having to wait or do too much heavy lifting. I don't know if this is for you, but, um, I, I appreciate the tease. I, I just, um, especially when, when you have Dan Moore drawing it, but it, it's, it's been, I know I'm, I'm working my way through, Teen Titans next. I, I I did read Justice League, but um, and Justice League was fine, but Dark Detective has been the uh, clear winner for me to date, out of the two weeks. 
based on the teams involved, that's the one that sounds most intriguing to me. Yeah. It was a book that made me say, God damn, I'm glad I ordered the physical copy of this. Yeah. Because I've been keeping an eye on, on what's coming out. I'm getting, I, I ordered the, pre-ordered the majority of the Future State books physically. So mm-hmm. I've been keeping an eye on the stuff. And when I saw Dark Detective, I was just, I was like on page like five or six. And I'm like, holy crap, is this beautiful. And I said to Dap, coming into this, I said, Dan Moore's stock has risen exponentially with this book. Like, it is just gorgeous. There's, it's, it's amazingly done. And yeah. I didn't, like I said, I didn't read it yet. But um, visually, yikes, it's a, it's a stunning book. I mean, he, he's got, when, um, when Bruce walks into a cafe or a diner, there's a woman at the, uh, at the counter. And the way, the way she's just sitting there, she's got, she's got her chin in her hand and she's like looking, it's just, he's, he's obviously done figure work. Like that, that, that's the kind of pose that, you know, he's watching, he's drawn somebody sitting like that, or maybe he was, you know, maybe he used himself for reference, but I just, it's, it's almost like, it's not a throwaway panel, but it's just there. And it, it, and it just makes, it makes the environment makes it feel real it just it's it's you know you're not seeing somebody just sitting up stiff with their hands on their side and it's and then when he turns to her to speak or, or she's talking to him you know she's all wide-eyed and she's just leaning into the counter and i just i mean the, the figure work is amazing but um i he he uh you know what once once batman gets gets shot and he gets patched up by a um by a uh by a doctor using the last of his Wayne Enterprise fortune, um, you know it's it, you you feel the pain that uh, that Moore's putting these characters through. You, the, the expressions are um, are definitely uh, realistic in that sense. And and even though Gotham is very bright, the way Times Square could be, um, it still feels like Gotham. It's still you know it always feels wet and moist for no reason at all. It's just it, it, Gotham is not a very at least downtown isn't a, a very clean area. It never felt like that. So um, it's uh, it's just I mean page after page, and they and and it goes. I mean they're, they're full pages too. Like there's there's no there's really there's some blackboarders here and there, but more takes the entire page to to tell the story. I really do like this issue. Yeah, the bat's in good hands because more is going to be on a an ongoing post future state so yeah yeah more is that dude man he he's he he doesn't get the i don't think he gets the props he, he deserves he doesn't he's 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 um he's uh i know like the gm march he's he's kind of he's gone on to do his i mean he, he's still working at dc but he's kind of doing his own things the style's a little different now he's, he's got the punchline thing happening but um Mora is is I I've enjoyed his cover work and just like you know my heart on for Jorge Jimenez that that's that's how I'm I'm feeling about Mora these days especially when when I'm seeing his interiors working on on um on a DC property like Batman it's yeah it's like it it's in good hands but yeah Mora is is he doesn't he is it's I would like to see him him get more love. Absolutely. 
I think this will do it. But well, I think the the value of this book is going to rise. Um, if 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 you haven't bought it, uh, I would suggest you do so because it's uh, for no other reason than a return on your investment. You're going to be able to turn this book around for a, a decent profit in a while should you choose to do so if you want to read just some some beautiful comics then by all means pick it up but i'm saying if you're of that mindset where you would you know invest in things i think this is a very good book in which to invest because Moore's only gonna uh his his uh, stardom is only gonna compound with time yeah all right so enough of this there is something that we can uh all Tag team on. Oh? Yes. And it, tell. Yes, and it comes from the uh, hands and minds of uh, a two-headed beast that I think is unparalleled in comics. And I'm talking about Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Oh. We, all, we all read Reckless. About damn time. Uh, yes. Damn. And... Uh, I, I don't know what it is with Brubaker, but he he likes to project in terms of his characters' names because um, with the criminal books you have Lawless, and now this series uh, features a man named Ethan Reckless. And what is the uh, common denominator between the the names of those two characters? Less, right? There's something. Both of these characters have something. That is missing. In the case of Ethan Reckless, he was an FBI agent that was sent deep undercover uh, and just happened to be subjected to an explosion, a bomb, that um, not only wounded him, but it erased part of his memory. He doesn't recall very much of what uh, happened in the uh, days and weeks leading up to the explosion, and it also stunted his emotions. Ethan Reckless doesn't feel a whole lot. Uh, he's he's uh, rivals me in in the uh, <laughs> in the apathetic category, but not so much. I'm being facetious. Uh, um, in the days following the explosion, um, he was. Uh, let go from the FBI, and what he did was he instigated a a one eight hundred number. He just wants to help people, so he he created a one eight hundred. It's like an equalizer. Yeah, he created a one eight hundred number to help uh, people, and he would he would uh, survey the stories and the ones that would appeal to him on whatever level. He would um, take action, right? Um, but in this uh, first reckless OGN someone from his past intrudes upon his future, his present and is a woman named Rainy uh, with whom he was very much in love with no that, that's a bad sentence with whom he was very much in love back in the day uh, so she shows up on his on his uh, doorstep and his doorstep being uh, a dilapidated um, one screen theater. one yeah. screen movie theater that was given to him as uh, recompense for uh, uh, services rendered. So somebody, you know, required his services, and they're like, "Yeah, hey, I got this this old movie theater. I'll give you his payment." So he's like, "All right, he's cool." He spends a lot of his time just as a uh, 
sitting in the audience of the the movie theater just just watching celluloid which is great um uh, but i'm getting ahead of myself he's he has a an assistant named anna who's a you know punky kind of yeah she's a you know uh uh, uh, a young and uh, enthusiastic and very pessimistic. She's not goth, but she's very much punk. And um, you know, she she's the the thing that I think grounds him throughout this this uh, book, where uh, she's um, reasonable and rational. Uh, go figure. And you know, confronts him with the truth, like you got to start making money because we need it, and you know, whatever. Um, so uh, this woman from his past, this rainy, shows up on his doorstep and. Uh, confronts him with a dilemma. She's being, um, she's in fear, you know, for her life. Uh, but before she can extrapolate, something happens. She's, um, she's killed in an, in an explosion. She's going to her car. She opens the door. Bada boom! Car explodes. Rainy's killed, which leaves uh, Ethan, you know, holding the bag. What does he do? Does he does he uh, proceed on the the, the course to to uh, avenge the death of his former lover? What happens? I don't want to get into it because I don't want to spoil it because there's a lot of twists and turns in this this story. But um, just when you think uh, criminal was the be all and the end all of the Brubaker Phillips uh, partnership, along comes reckless. It's like. <laughs> it it it's roots are in the pulps which i'm so glad because uh, uh jason cannot escape it he, he is <laughs> he is reading some pulpy goodness but uh i uh i don't think it's it's a surprise to say that um you know that old james bond song by carly simon you know, nobody does it better. Makes me feel sad for the rest. Like that <laughs> completely applies to Brew Baker and Phillips. Yeah, uh, it's ridiculous at this point that they just keep churning out these these uh, amazing, just thoroughly entertaining, uh, and on a number of levels. Like this can work surface, but there's a lot of subtext, and and you can go diving if you wanted to in Reckless. And I I I. I don't know. I, I think I just adored it on every level. The um, I mean, there's it. There's plenty to adore. I mean, from from start to finish, it's it's well done. It's it's uh, it's different. I and mean, it visually, totally, it it feels different than criminal stuff in in the sense that just based. How it looks and how the character presents himself. I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely a Brubaker and Phillips story, and and I said this the other night, but um, I would either like to buy the woman who broke Ed Brubaker's heart a drink, or I'd like to throttle her for him because somebody has definitely messed my man up because he has something. Whether it's it's, it's his character is always falling for a woman good or bad it's 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 a um even in you know cruel summer it's the same thing whether it's the father or the son it's like there's always going to be a woman that's going to screw somebody over and or, or not even screw them over but they're going to just make mistakes because of 
that connection to to that woman for whatever reason and um there is the the this field i i read this and it definitely felt of this time of of the time this is meant to be taking place in like any if this was you know late 90s or early 2000s it wouldn't really it doesn't fit in, in that era. The whole, aside from the technology and, and the 800 number and how people can get in touch with him, that's of the past. But but even even the the whole thing with the the drugs and the handlers and and how deep things go, like that just that all feels like it's supposed to be from the particular era that 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 reckless takes place in. And I I enjoyed Criminal when it. When it premiered, I was there. It was different. I was, you know, blindly or just buying the issues when they were being they were released. It was fine, but this grabbed me right from the start, and and I, I think part of me, I think I'm, well, it's new, so it's easy for me to say I'm in love with this. But it it's I, I'm I'm kind of. Right now, I think I'm more attracted to the reckless world than I am the criminal world. And I feel like, and, and when I say that, whereas Pulp feels like it definitely could take place in the criminal universe, this kind of doesn't. And that, I, whether it is or not, I, I don't know, but it, it just looks like it doesn't. It, it's, it's, it's a little brighter. The characters are a little bit, I think, easier to like um but i i really really loved reckless a lot well i think there's a a little change of pace as far as the visuals go like brubaker's allowing not brubaker sorry phillips is allowing jacob to have more of a, a, a more control over the 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 entire image like the 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 figure drawing and the the backgrounds are not as intense as yeah. they were in many of the criminal storylines like this is i don't want to call it airy but it's it's far from airy but, but there's a even the lines are a little different but yeah yeah they, what you mean. they dialed back a little phillips dialed back a little bit on the visuals where he's allowing um a lot of the uh, heavy lifting to be done by the reader, uh, which is, or in add the colorist, which is Jacob. Yeah. Uh, I, and I love Jacob's work because it's so off the wall and so uh, way far off the beaten path. Like you'll get um, colors that just stop. Hard edge, just like yeah. a, a you know a, a a very hard edge that'll just shear a color, and and or um, one color will spill into another that does not have any bearing on the lines that they're supposed to accentuate. Like a a a, a mass of purple will stream into somebody's face, and it's just mm-hmm. it doesn't belong there, but it looks but, great, right? Yeah. And it's like it's it's almost as if like a the the um, William S. Burroughs cut up technique applied to color art, where it's just let's just randomize or just throw things uh, to the the whim of chance and see what happens where they you know where they fall. And I love that approach. Like it's it just seems so organic to me um, and natural 
where it's anything but, right? It's it's totally calculated, but it looks great. And uh, I, I think this is one of those rare books where the color art is on uh, a level with the uh, the drawing. It's just amazing. Like you you couldn't take Jacob out of the equation, and and without uh, being a detriment to Sean's work and vice versa. I just it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, I thought this was phenomenal. I, I think that to tie in some of the things you guys have been saying, I, I, I think one of the things that resonates with me on this is that, um, you know, Ethan Reckless is hardly a uh, pillar of society, but he's, I mean, he's a, he's at he's at or near the top of 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 characters that they've done in all of their works that you you legitimately should be rooting for, right? Like he's he's, you know, he's a better person than like Parker, right? In the Parker novels, which are you know, on, on a, on a, it's a which are a huge um, source of inspiration for Brubaker, understandably. Um, he's on par, if not a better person than like Jack Reacher, um, you know. Uh, so he's certainly not above doing anything, including murder, if if he feels it's justified. But he's he's we're supposed to be rooting for him. He's. He's like an equalizer or a Magnum PI, uh, just a much grimier version of that. But he's he's a trope of a kind of character that we all have likely had some exposure to before and enjoyed. Um, you know, he's yeah, like uh, he's definitely uh, not a lawless. That's for sure. Absolutely right. right. And the thing about criminal is it's it's, um, you know, I don't think the criminal world is as dark and unforgiving as say um, Lapham stuff. But it's not too far off. No, I it's mean, not. Most most of the leads in the criminal arcs are deplorables, and and you're supposed to think they're deplorable, and they're barely hanging on to whatever semblance of life they've carved for themselves. It's like tragedy after tragedy, and it's amazingly done. So I, and and it's impeccable, and it's still their crowning achievement because of the 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 longevity of it, and and that it is always the thing they go back to. That's it's their center point, but. But this is neat, and, and, and I think you alluded to it when you started talking, Vince, but this is volume one of three, and they've already solicited or announced the second. Yep. And, um, you know, it's, it's just – you talk about finding the silver linings and things, and the reason that this exists is because of COVID. Yep. They, they, they didn't know, understandably, what the situation was going to be when Diamond shut down and Image shut down, and they were – by Ed's own words, fortunate enough to have been successful enough in their lives that they could basically ha- write and draw a book without getting a paycheck for a while. It was okay. They could do that. And they decided to go ahead and, and, and try doing graphic novels for a change. And, and from what I gather, it's not only been successful both, both uh, creatively for them both, but it's, it's also going faster. Like they're producing more content quicker than they would normally be doing if they were doing a monthly. So, um, but yeah, I mean, this is the kind of guy that like, he's despicable in that he, he's willing to do whatever it takes, but, but he, he, you fist pump. I mean, you're, you're happy to see him come out on top. He's, he's someone you want to see win. And, uh, and that's a nice departure from what we normally get from them, which is also, but which is no, not a, in any way a condemnation of the quality of, of their usual stuff. And I'm with you. I think that tonally, um, it, it's, it's set in the early eighties, but it feels like people that were at their best in the seventies, you know? Yeah. And, uh, even, even, and you even get that tonally with the fact that his 
abode is a beaten up old movie theater and, yep. and, and the like. So I just think it was terrific. Um, I, I think it was perfectly paced. Um, I read it in one sitting and I've just been dying for you guys to finally get your shipment. Cause I get the weeklies and you guys get the monthlies. But, but I just thought, man, you know, this is, again, we have our 11 o'clockers next week and, um, <sighs> Vince's current reigning, uh, writer and artist are Brubaker and Phillips for those uh, that don't recall. So I don't know if they're going to get a repeat, but I, I just think this is a year for me where it's going to be really hard for me not to give them love. Right. Because, uh, while I think I probably liked this more than pulp, I loved pulp too, because yeah, I agree with you, Dap, like pulp felt like it could be in the criminal verse, mm-hmm. but it was a different setting. And there was a cleverness to that, right. And that it pays homage to Kirby and the work for higher comics and, and, and pulp novelists of the time and how they were kind of shafted as cogs in this professional wheel. But then the dude also happens to be a badass cowboy sharpshooter. It just, it's, it's just, it was clever and played with two genres that I very much enjoy. So I just think their, their ability to now, admittedly they have all of their books have a similar undertone and that they deal with, reality and tragedy and death and crime. I mean, almost all, I guess you could say all their books have to do with crime, but, but, uh, but they still manage to, every time we read something from them, they carve out a, they push the boundaries out a little further into what we think they're capable of being masters at. Um, I sometimes think like, wouldn't it be a hoot just to see them take a foray into straight fantasy or straight sci-fi just to, just to see what their vision of that would be. But I guess there is something to be said for when you're, arguably the best at something why not just keep doing that something right. if, if you're satisfied by it um well i think reckless is a big departure from pulp because pulp was a, a story of a, a man in his sunset years the, the you could there was a feeling that maybe the events of the story were a desperate attempt at one last hurrah mm-hmm. just uh you know trying to reclaim that 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 fleeting spark of youth but Reckless is a guy that's still bordering on the prime of his life where he's, he, I mean, there's, there's, in in each case, there's something, uh, for which to strive. And I think in Reckless, it's to strive to get something of his prior existence back. He just wants to feel. He just wants to, to feel something, to, 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 to try and, and make good on, on whatever it was that, that, um, you know, put him in the position in which he's in. But I, I got to part ways with you. I don't think Ethan's despicable at all. I think he's just lost. He, you know, he, he, he's not a malicious character. He's not out to, to, um, profit from any of this. He just wants to do what's, what he thinks is right. There's no like, oh, I'm gonna do this one last job and set myself up. Then I'll never be, I'll never have to worry about robbing or, or doing anything, all, you know, uh, illegal again. That's not a concern with Ethan. He doesn't care about that at all. He just wants to avenge the, or at least do right by the memory of this lover who is now expired. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I got, I gotta say, as far as Brubaker's characters, Ethan Reckless is like one of the most admirable ones he's ever created. Well, that's my point. I said he's someone you're supposed to root for, but I don't right. think he's, but he's not a, he's not a, 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 in, 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 in comics, we're used to these archetypes, right? Your Supermans, your Batmans, who are 
just above killing, even when all logic says they should kill, right? right? Or they should. He he's a human. He's 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 absolutely willing and does. Kill oh yeah. Or or break well, the law. There are some or people that he thinks is right that need to be dead. Yeah, but so so he's not a moral person per se in in the way that we would normally draw moral, morality in a yeah. hero story. But 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 he is absolutely he's he's the most heroic character. And 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 I'm saying that not I'm trying to think what I mean. And uh, kill or be killed. Certainly there wouldn't be. Uh, fatal. I'm just trying to think of other stuff they've done and, and making sure we're not missing a obviously heroic character. But I, I do think, yeah, I think I think it's fair to say, unless one of our listeners corrects us, that Ethan Reckless is the is the most heroic of leads we've seen from them right. so far. Well, I mean, if we have if we had a, an opportunity to put them all out, lay them all out, and just take a a very clinical, uh, yeah. you know, uh, view of of Brubaker and Phillips stuff, we could come to a more authoritative uh, answer, but. Right now, my beer fueled opinion is that Ethan Lawless, or sorry, Ethan Reckless, is um, yeah, he's a respectable dude that just so happens to kill when he thinks it's necessary. I'm mm-hmm. down. I'm down with that. Yeah, he's not Clark Kent, yeah. or he's not Superman. So no, nah. no. Yep. Yep, so another masterpiece by this. Oh, pretty much, yeah. I guess trio, you could say, because there is color. Right. Well, I mean, Jacob's only been, only recently been introduced into the equation. And yeah, all the better for it. His color works great. Yep. He's on a par with um, Brennan Wagner as as the the, the new generation of uh, comics creators that have been sired by uh, damn fine craftsmen, you know? Yep. That's true. All right, so we want to bring this baby home? Sure. All right. Hey, everybody, thank you for being here with us one more time around the sun. We, well, not that much. We uh, we hope you will join us next time. In the meantime, please solicit our sponsor. They have what you want at the price you want to pay. It's Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, Aftershock, Bequest, Tim Seeley, Freddie Williams II, Two forty nine. That's uh, half price. From Image Ultra Mega by James Heron. Uh, it's a seven ninety nine book, but it's kaiju, so it's bigger, better than everything else. Uh, you're gonna pay three ninety nine. And from Seven Seas, let me catch my breath. Super Sentai Himitsu Sentai Goranger Classic Collection hardcover by Shotaro Ishinomori. You need this. It should be on your shelf. Twenty four ninety nine cover price. You can has it for seventeen forty nine. DCBService dot com. In your travels, Woo-hoo! we were a little bit. Uh, there was some trepidation whether or not this book would actually be published because there's lawsuits a brewing with this company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thankfully, it was published, and I think. It is their best effort to date. Uh, from Warrant Publishing, it is the very first issue of a magazine that they have called Vampiris Carmilla. Terrifying tales of enchantment and horror. And yes, it's very much cut uh, in the Vampirella cloth, where you have a, uh, a central character, in this case, Vampiris Carmilla, who um, tells 
tells horror stories. But what's the setup? Okay. It appears that uh, Vampiris Carmilla was uh, one of the brides of Dracula. And she not only was one of the brides of Dracula, but she's a Karnstein, which if you know your uh, hammer history, <laughs> well, then you know who this character is, right? Uh, she's also known as Mirkala or Milarka, uh, but she she's killed by uh, Van Helsing. And Van Helsing is drawn by the amazing Nick Polico in the uh, the mold of Peter Cushing. Like this is this is hit after hit after hit. So she she descends to hell, having been beheaded by Van Helsing, and she's greeted with the devil. And the devil is none other than Vincent Price. God damn, because they get any better. And Vincent Price says, okay. Well, the devil says, okay, I got a problem. Hell is littered with these goddamn monsters. I got this creature from the Black Lagoon and the Frankenstein monster and the mummy and Quasimodo and a shit ton of werewolves and demons. And I don't know what the hell to do with them. They eat a lot. They shit in the corners. They're making a mess of the place. Here's the deal, Vampires Carmilla. Should you decide to agree to my my uh, my little uh, plan here, I will return you to the land of the living in exchange for you taking all these bastards up to the land of the living and just babysit. Do me a favor. Just tell them stories. That's all you have to do. Tell them stories. And that's the setup for Vampirus Camellia magazine where you have this fetching beautiful of uh, vampire maiden very much cut from the vampirella cloth who just tells stories she's the horror host of this magazine it's a simple kitschy setup that uh, allows warrant publishing to go in a number of different directions by having their uh, beautiful vampire uh, tell stories the second story is uh, has features art by Benito Gallego, who is the heir apparent to John Basima. I've said it before. If you look at this guy's work, you'll be like, somebody slapped this dude upside the head with John Basima because he draws just like Big John. His women are in the Big John mold. His dudes, well, go see it for yourself. Warrant Publishing... Vampirus Carmilla. Um, there's a story in here called The Cursed Sultan's Gems. <sighs> it, it, it's a blatant fan service to Vampirella because there was a story um, by Mr. Gonzalez that featured the Sultan in the title. Uh, it's, it's, they, they know their audience at Warrant Publishing and they're very much playing up to them. Uh, no argument from me, my friends. Uh, Vampires, Carmilla, number one, five ninety five, worth every mofo penny. Cover by Ken Kelly. Like if if you grew up in the seventies and were a fan of Warren Publishing, you need to be reading this stuff. It does justice to the source material. That's a big doings. I never ever thought that I would say, hey, you know what? These guys are doing Warren proud. Dark Horse couldn't manage it. Harris couldn't manage it, but weren't they seem to be pulling it off check it out vampiris carmilla number one
Okie dokie. Yep, it's great. It's great. It is great. Uh, in your travels, um, I will talk about the first arc, or, well, the second, since the first was actually the prequel graphic novel. Uh, Robert Kirkman and Chris Somney's Firepower. I, um, I sat down and made my way through a bunch of issues of various series to see where uh, things are going to fall on my O'Claskers. Caught up on Fire Out. Well, I say caught up. The seventh issue came out last week. That'll be in my next box. But, um, yeah, the uh, it's... I'm, I'm kind of glad I read it the way I did in this chunk because I don't know how I feel about these cliffhangers at the end of each issue. Uh, shape it at the bit to find out what's going to happen because it, it, first, I mean, it looks fantastic. It's, it's, it, duh, but it, it's a, um, you know, if you read the OGN and you know, you, you know that, um, that at the end of that story, um, Owen is married and he and Kelly have uh, two kids and he's just trying to make a normal life for himself. Uh, he, um, you know, he looks at a furniture, furniture shop. Um, you know, he's, uh, his, his, his Kelly is on the police force and they're just trying to be normal people. And, um, and there's, there are cute moments where, um, what he will, what what Owen will do, um, from time to time is uh, he and he and his daughter they'll they'll race to the uh, like to, to the supermarket and uh, she'll she thinks you know I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna run I, I'm gonna beat Dad today's the day Haley is going to beat Dad and and so she takes off but because you know. Owen's pretty much the trained ninja. You know, he's hopping through trees and, and hopping over fences. And, um, he always ends up beating her and she's like, Oh, one day I'll get you. And, and, you know, so he, he teases her. And then, um, he and Kelly have had conversations about training their kids for, you know, just for self-defense. Um, and Owen has, trained Kelly pretty well and and there's some really neat family bonding moments in the series but it doesn't last long because there is trouble back um at the uh, at the old lodge and they uh Owen is asked to come back Owen's like no I'm I'm I got a life now I'm good um because also he's been framed for the murder of the love of his life. And he thinks it's done. I got rid of them. They listen to me. They're not going to mess with me anymore. But things don't go the way you want. And, and characters you thought may have gone away, uh, show back up. It's just, it's, it's really, I get, I, I read each issue and, and I'm, I'm, as I was reading each issue, I, I figure it's, it's kind of paint by numbers. There's, there's really, there's nothing new under the sun, but, but you know, 
Frost the Curtain because he he does um, he's writing characters that I'm I'm actually maybe he did it with The Walking Dead. But he's writing characters that you care about, and you know you you're just kind of you're a few pages in, and and I feel invested, and and I want I don't want anything bad to happen to these people, but obviously bad things are happening to them because they're being sucked into this um, war, for lack of a better term, that you know that they don't want to be involved in you can't really trust people based on the way things are going with these cast of characters and the supporting cast um i don't know how much input chris may have since chris is a family man i I don't know i I think you know with 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 laura and their kids that uh i think i feel like chris may have some input on the family side of things uh when it comes to the to the story and the characters but they um there there are they're real nice at the end of each issue there's basically a um it's kind of like a little bit of a recap or a uh almost like a, a transcript of a skype session or something between robert and chris where they talk about certain pages or, or what chris had to do or what robert wrote and how chris had to envision it and it was it's it's the whole process thing. It's the back matter. It's the DVD extras, and 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 that's cool. But um, the art is is absolutely fantastic. Matt Wilson kills it. He he's he does really well. He and Sony make a really good team. I'm I'm happy to see them continue this. Um, but I I, I really really liked it. I know the second trade has been solicited. I think it might be out, but that that collects issues one through six. Um, seven kicks off the second arc of the series, but the, or the third arc based on the, the trades. Um, I do want to thank Mr. Brian Newberry for sending me the free comic book day issue. I did not know that that is basically the, the, the free comic book day issue is with a different cover, slightly different cover stock, but um, it, 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 the insides, the interiors are exactly the same as the first issue. The first issue's got the extra stuff with the letters page and a gallery, but the free comic book day issue is the contents are the same as you get the first full issue from free comic book day. So, um, but yeah, the uh, even the covers are neat. I just, I, I really, you know, it's 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 been a minute since I've been able to kind of gush over Somni's art, but um, it's I there are some books. I support because I know the creator personally or over the years, but uh, I initially thought that with firepower, I'm just buying it because Chris Sonny's drawing it. And I would have been fine with that. I'm supporting my friend and, and, and I'm happy he's working on a book. Um, but I, I, you know, jokes on me because I am enjoying every single issue. It, it's, it's been a lot of fun. It, it moves at a pretty good clip. Um, that's the other thing. I don't know if, if, if I was reading it month to month, like I should be, um, because of the way Chris draws and because of the way Kirkman kind of plots things out, you may find that not that you read the issue quickly, but you just, you'll get to the end of it. You kind of, you want more. And, and I feel like if I was reading it when the issue came out and have to wait for the next issue, um, I might feel some kind of way because it, 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 did feel like it went by quick because it, it, and it does, it moves. It's written at a pretty good clip. It's not like it's, you know, the first six issues kind of are over the course of, of uh, a handful of days. It's not like we're, we're waiting months between 
issues and or story-wise we're not waiting you know it's not a month between issue to issue but it's um it's really really entertaining i'm enjoying it a lot in your travels get yourself the trades of uh the firepower respect uh, i have to ask though does your your disdain for kirkman as a writer also cloud your uh perception of his his uh moral uh compass because like he's married with two kids I, I would imagine he knows how to write is he okay no family. see i didn't i didn't I, I i i wasn't sure if he was married and i definitely didn't know if he had kids oh yeah he's married to his high school sweetheart that's good okay yeah so i think they're both family men for what it's worth oh no I, I, then that's i'm not saying chris didn't have a say i'm just saying no, like right. it made right. it sound, you made it sound like kirkman's some swinging la bachelor who no uh, no no definitely not save his life. i didn't i mean no, i didn't think he had any kids but i didn't yeah. I, I wasn't sure where where his his love life was but uh you know based on the other books i didn't invincible had its moments from what i've read invincible had its moments but it's not like you know the walking dead wasn't filled with with lovey-dovey moments so i'm just it, wait it's, what it's, coral Oh, but it's it's yeah. So okay, a few, but it's it's just one of those <laughs> things where I mean, firepower feel to me based on what I've read from Kirkman, and I haven't read everything he's done, but firepower just completely yeah. feels different than than other Kirkman books. Yeah, I don't disagree with what you said about the tone of the family, and I also don't have any reason to doubt that somebody isn't uh, weighing in or or drawing from his own experiences as a as a young parent. I I just thought. I got. I'd, I'd at least give Kirkman. Oh, a I appreciate. He's a family man, at least by reputation. Again, we don't. Needless to say, full disclosure, we don't know how all these people's lives actually are. I, I don't. I don't. We, we have to presume they're all very faithful, uh, devout, uh, good people. But yeah. Um, well, I alluded to it in my uh, intro, and I have to say that uh, Vince often takes issue and umbrage with uh, my slack list of things that have been read because uh, they can get, it can get lengthy and there's been a book on there for some time and I just keep waiting for the right opportunity to speak on it and um, just never, never find the right opportunity. So, uh, so I'm, I'm henceforth declaring today the day because I'd like to take it off my list since uh, it was months ago that I read it. Um, but I definitely thought it was worth shouting out to the people's, and um, that is uh, from Titan Comics, The Wrath of Phantomas, um, written by Olivier Bouquet, uh, B-O-C-Q-U-E-T. Uh, those of you who are fans of Bond SNA may recognize the name. He's done a bunch of works. We've talked about a few of them over the years. Probably most notably, he, um, he uh, wrote the, the third volume of uh, Snowpiercer. Uh, and uh, it was drawn, this book was drawn by Julie Rochelieu. Uh, this was Julie's at the time first uh, graphic novel uh, comic. Um, this book was uh, put out in France in 2013 and was ported over uh, to the U S and adapted in February of 2019 by Titan. Um, so right on the cover, it, first of all, it's an oversized hardcover. It's beautifully packaged. Um, Spot varnish, all the goodness. Um, right on the front, aside from the off the creators' names and the fact that it, this book won the Joe Schuster Award, it says uh, above the byline of the Wrath of Phantomas, it says the world's first supervillain returns. Um, now, the French are known to take some liberties occasionally in 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 the way they describe things, and 
while I'd love to sit here and tell you guys that Phantomas was, in fact, canonically the first supervillain, I think that's very much up for debate. Um, but what you can say for sure is that um, Phantomas is one of the first supervillains that we've ever seen in literature, uh, in fictional literature, and was also um, wildly popular at the time. So the character was introduced back in 1911, so even before Vince was born. Um, and we're talking old school. That's great. Uh, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but no, well, Vince, you should be you should be giddy because you don't get pulpier than Phantomas. It's true. Phantomas is considered the 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 father of pulp villainy. Yep. Um, and so when uh, Marcel Alon and Pierre Sauvoustre uh, introduced the character um, in 1911, it became an overnight instant mega pop culture success. So much so that they put out 32 volumes of novelization. So 32 books um, in a matter of like 15 years. And then another 11 books were put out by uh, Alan because uh, Sylvester dies in 1914. So, so there you go. So, that, so from 1911 to 1914, they put out 32 volumes uh, featuring the character, and then there were another 11 by uh, by Elaine. So, all, all total, over 40 volumes of this were put out in like a decade long period in the early 1900s. And this was unquestionably like the most popular pop culture thing in Europe at the time. Um, and there was a lot of novelness to it, uh, uh, above and beyond the fact that the character was popular. Um, it was one of the first, um, uh, like bullpen or assembly line works because there was such rabid demand for more story that Alan and Sylvester couldn't write a novel every few weeks by themselves. So they basically would plot out points and then have a whole staff of other writers and typists. And again, this is the early 1900s. So you were handwriting and then typing things. It wasn't like you had a word processor. They had a whole team working with them after a bit to help put this out. Um, it's like James Patterson today, right? Where it's like every book you see James Patterson and some other person who I presume actually wrote the book and then he sticks his name on it to sell it. But whatever, it was this. It, so that was novel. And then they also, it was one of the first things that got licensed almost instantly because of the popularity and the success um, other entertainment venues began paying for the rights to use these ca this character in um, in serialized things and comic strips in film. So pretty cool all in all. But the, the real claim to fame of the character is that, again, as, as they try and say, it's the first supervillain. It wasn't the first supervillain. Like, I would say that after reading this, um, like, like Moriarty, Sherlock Holmes' arch nemesis, was introduced in the late 1800s. And while Moriarty wasn't the same as Fantomas, I mean, I, I think you'd have to say he was a supervillain, right? I mean, he was this nearly, he was a, a, an intellectual match for Sherlock, a master of everything, a multidimensional thinker and, 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 and seemingly infallible, right? So, so I, I kind of view him as, as a precursor to, to, to Fantomas. But what Fantomas was, and if there is a claim to fame, he was the first character that was an unabashed amoral uh, murderer who became someone that people love to read and root for like the first anti-hero, right? Like Moriarty existed, but only in the vein of being a um, credible 
foil to the hero, which was Sherlock, right? Like you, you, you found Moriarty interesting, but you, you didn't read the books. You didn't read Moriarty books. Moriarty was was there to challenge Sherlock, who you were rooting for. Whereas in this, Phantom Moss was the star of the books. And to be clear, he's a master criminal. He's brilliant, uh, masked. He wears a mask, um, always dressed in black, and a master of disguise, a master thief. But he's completely without morals. Um, a violent, uh, violent killer willing to murder, mayhem, use bombs stab whatever he needs to do to achieve his goals and basically his goals are wealth and and uh and 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 power that's it's essentially his his only motivations in life for having whatever he wants and he's extremely capable at, at getting what he wants in spite of um law enforcement trying to continually stop him and he was also a bit of a uh a precursor to the to the people like batman he was he was known for having um, wondrous gadgets that he could use for his criminal endeavors, right? Everything from like grappling hooks to smoke bombs to whatever. And, and, and we take a lot of those tropes for, for granted now, but, but this was the first we saw of a lot of that in, 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 in this vein of storytelling of, 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 of super criminals. Um, and the other thing was it was, especially in the time it was incredibly violent. Um, Phantomas would stab someone in the eye to, to get away from them. He would, again, blow up a, a, a room with children and women and children in it to, to take out someone that he was trying to remove from the chessboard. So um, just pure, unabashed evil, right? Just just complete, complete evil. Um, so all that said, there was this character who who was very, very influential in all that came after it, like... A lot of people say that the Phantom, one of Vince's favorites, is a heroic mirror image of Phantomas by design. And, you know, Phantom came, what, in the early 30s, I think, 1930, 1931. Yeah, around there. So, yeah, so like 20 years later, right? Batman was 39, and, and there's a lot of similarities to Batman and, and Phantomas in the way they, they dress and having, again, these gadgets and these belts that they can do these things. He was 1939, right? So so you could see the roots of why Phantomas is important. And, yes, I was attracted to learning more about the character because, um, as as some of you may have may have already sussed out, Phantom X was named and was given the visual aesthetic that he has as an homage to Phantom Oz. Now, I don't think Phantom X, the character in Marvel, has much much like Phantom Oz, the character, but it was a it was very much um, uh, an homage that Mor- Morrison was a big fan of Phantom Oz and, and wanted to pay homage to him, so he did that by creating Phantom X. Um, so this book, which which came out in 2013, is in essence a graphic novel adaptation of the early stories of the character. Now, I haven't read any of the early 1900s novelizations. Um, don't even know if you can read. I assume they're probably public. Well, they must be public domain, but I, I haven't even endeavored to, to search, search them out. But my understanding is that um, that the creators uh, pulled a lot of the like the key kernels of the early, the first few early novels, and crafted this narrative in that we get in this in this hardcover graphic novel. Um, the premise is pretty simple. In in this novel, um, Phantomas endeavors and achieves stealing all of the gold in Paris, and then subsequently it's him trying to do it, doing it. And then, then the effort to catch him. Um, and he of course has, as is very common. Now he is a foil, uh, in, in, in his case, the foil is a, um, Parisian 
detective uh, named Jouvet. And uh, Jouvet is, from what people say, the inspiration for lots of other famous detectives over the years, but most notably uh, Clouseau. He's basically the model for Inspector Clouseau uh, from the Pink Panther. Um, but it's it's the 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 work is great because you get this. It, it's it's just the pacing of it is is nonstop. I mean, it's just every moment is just high pressure, and it's one of those things where in every moment where it looks like oh they're finally going to get him or oh they figured it out, he always has the answer. It's it's he's this deplorable, completely evil person who just can't lose. He's that good. And it can both drive you nuts reading it. But then you're also really supposed to be rooting for it. Right. I mean, even though he is a horrible person, you're you're rooting for him to succeed because he's just so damn good. And he's always got the leg up. And these are not the, the police are not depicted as incompetent in this. Like, I know if I say Clouseau, you're thinking that that's not like this is more. um these are dogged, capable police officers pursuing him, but they're just not quite able to get over the hump. You know, they're just not quite able to pull it off. And I mean, visually, which again, we're talking comics. So visually, Rochelieu, it's just incredible. I, I did send Vince earlier tonight. I was, I'd sent him a few images. Um, these are very, these are painted pages. Um, it's, 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 some have said it, it reminds them of, um, like, at certain points on the splashes, like Toulouse-Lautrec, um, that kind of thing. Like, they're, you know, they're almost like fine art paintings at points. Um, and then when you get the more sequential pages, um, you know, I've, I, I personally got, like, a Francovia vibe from a lot of it. Um, but it's beautiful stuff. It's, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful stuff of really rich, vibrant color palette. Um, and there's just enough abstract in the book to, I think, keep it visually arresting and interesting. So you don't get kind of bored at the cadence. Sometimes with comics, you can get in that cadence where you're turning the pages and you're getting, you get used to what you're going to see visually. And it, it almost kind of loses a bit to me. And, and that doesn't happen in this book because each scene, I mean, these are grand settings too. I mean, the Eiffel Tower or the center of Paris or, uh, you know, like planes, and there's, so there's always like these big action moments in different settings that that that, that keep your eyes alive. So, thought it was awesome. Um, don't I would have hoped that there was more to come of this because again, the source material is vast. I mean, they have 40 plus novels, and I think there were 15 or 16 films made of it too to draw from. But this came out in 2013, and I looked, and I don't see any evidence that they even talked about doing more. So I, you know, I guess it came and went for whatever that's worth, but. But definitely worth your attention. Um, just from a historical perspective, I know there's not one person listening to this that doesn't hold some character like a Zorro or a Batman, you know, or James Bond or a Sherlock close to your heart. And this is ground zero for a lot of that storytelling uh, in its own way. So definitely give it a try. And it's pretty cheap too. I think it's like. 20 bucks for the hardcover maybe it's 30 bucks but with discount but i don't recall it being very expensive um titan's usually pretty good about that so check it out it's the wrath of phantomas it is uh by titan you can it's readily in print you can get an amazon in stock all that stuff and uh yeah it's it's, it's definitely dope uh, you would both very much enjoy it i mean both of you both love both for you given your love of, of pulp and and i mean dap you love the you know, I know from you, like with the Sherlock, and and you love the mm-hmm. you, you love like the um, 
the 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 detective you know uh, Bosch. I mean, like all like it plays in that world. And then Vince, you're such a pull pound. I mean, it, it, it this definitely has a this is a book that I think definitely fits in all three of our circles. There's concentric overlap. Nice. You're a goddamn chatty bitch when you want to be, aren't you? Love it. <laughs> I mean, listen, I you know you this book's been on the list for like three months, and I'm like, damn, it's, we got the clusters next week. It's good. Then, it's good. It's yeah. good. Um, it, anything that justifies the existence of Phantom X, come on. It's. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's worth it. Worth it. All right, everybody. Hey, thank you so much for being here. If you would like to extend your 11 o'clock comics experience go to the twitter reddit instagram and facebook lots of presence there if you are very adventurous check out the patreon patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics lots going on in that realm um and remember somebody fell say good night what's his name jason David. What is it? David. Hmm. I don't know. I think it's... Uh, I think it's David. Oh! oh. <laughs> I think I'm trying to be like Guy's Grocery Games over here. What is that? Go. What are you talking... Wait a second after I say goodnight. Supermarket sweep! <laughs> oh my god, dude. Is that... <laughs> is that not horrible? It's terrible. But you know like, what? I'm thinking it goes all around the dial, way past good and terrible, and back to good again. Like it's David. Yes, so. <laughs> it's painful to watch, but there's something about it. Like no, I no, love I Leslie just, Jones. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I, I'm rooting for her. But you just did the perfect impersonation. She's like, "Get ready, possible my guys." Yeah, and it's like, and then there's these tropes that are so ridiculous, like the one hundred thousand dollars, like what? Right, yeah, or the the random security guard that comes out to tell people yeah. to be quiet. So and then, stupid. And, and then the, the then your cousin that sits there and and, and and acts like all sexy at the end with the yep. checkout and makes right. pun. It's, it's so, so silly. Bizarre. And then don't you get insane at how bad some of these people are shopping? It's like, yeah. dude, you go and you put all the goddamn. Yetis in your goddamn cart, right? They all do it. Then you go and go back, and you get all the giant meats. Like, don't fuck around with like. You see dudes grabbing like packs of gummy bears and shit. It's like, I know. Like, yeah, you're trying to chalk up dollars here, man. This ain't the same. There, like- there was the same sex couple, um, two real handsome guys, and they they made it to the the end round, and they're they're doing the 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 uh, you know the final hundred thousand dollar thing. And they're walking through the aisles. And Leslie's like, are you fucking stupid? <laughs> like, do, you, do, you not, do you not understand what's happening here? You have a very specific amount of time. It's not a whole lot of time. And you guys are walking through the thing. Like, my family's completely enamored with the show. And it's so bad. I, I, I got to say, it's enjoyable on a weird, unknown level. It it's works. It's cringe. And it's... it's- it's hard to believe how funny Leslie Jones is otherwise. Right. Yeah. Like, if this is your only exposure to Leslie Jones, you would think, where did they get this woman from? $100,000. dollars <laughs> It's so dollars. stupid. Uh, so it's so awkward when they, like, the couples that are competing, like, or when they're, like, the awkward, like, high fives they give. Yeah, like, yeah. They don't know what to do. It's just, uh. Did you see the one with the two guys with the long hair? 
Oh, the blonde guys? The California yeah. kids? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. They were... <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> Rush fans. Definitely Rush fans. Oh, damn. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, the, the one of the shticks in, on Guy's Grocery Games is he, he always psychs the contestants out. Because you, yeah, you can't go until go. you do yeah. three, two, one, go. Yeah. So he'll he'll usually and and they ne- it, it 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 boggles my mind. It must be the first time these people have ever participated. In this. They've never watched a show beforehand. But he'll he'll be like, yeah. So you know, in round three, there was two of you, but not only one of you were gonna go to, and it's and and they just wait. So he already did the three, two, one, go, and they're just standing there waiting for him to say go. It's like yeah, but he, he's and and the clock's kick ticking, oh, and so they're wasting time. So so yeah. So but he always. You know, he just finds a way to say it at different times, and it's it's right. usually it's, and then there are times where people jump the gun. He's like, "Dude, I didn't say nothing yet. You gotta go back." Yep. And yep. It, it it's it is entertaining, and it's um. But just, I, I mean, Guys Grocery Games is infinitely more entertaining than Supermarket Sweep, right? Be, because it's a variety show, right? The the contests are different, and they're actually cooking too. So it's, yes, it's shopping and cooking. Yeah, it, it's, it's but the, it's the supermarket sweep ma- makes no sense because some of the categories are disturbingly easy, but then she'll throw something at them that's like, the fuck are you talking about? Where yeah. the, they'll take a, a a slice of a logo, and butt it up against another chunk of another logo, and the, it's not the entire logo, like it's just parts of it. So you really have to know your brands and. It, it amazes me that people are just rattling these things off. I'm like, where'd you pull that from? I don't, I don't know what they're going for. I really yeah. don't. So silly. But anyway, yeah, the family loves it. And my wife goes, who is this lady? I said, oh okay. But you know what? If it introduces her to Louise Jones, then great. Good, yeah, wonderful. Or, I'm sorry, yeah. Leslie. I was thinking of Louise Simonson. Um, <laughs> yeah, Wheezy. So everybody, hey, thanks for being here. We'll be back real soon right because we got yeah after we watch uh wandavision oh right oh is it out yeah tomorrow the 15th oh nice okay yeah. cool now, but yeah. it's yeah. interesting because when phantomas was crushing it in france the other hot property at the time was lupine which they just made a netflix show just, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 um i i don't want to seem superficial but no I could stare at Olsen all day. Oh, yeah, yeah. She is the best I think she person. is absolutely stunning. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wait, you think, did you, Dap, did you say she's the best-looking Marvel actress? No, Olsen's sister. Well, that's oh, really oh. not hard to do. Oh, wait, she's Olsen's sister? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, yeah. I didn't know they had any relation. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. She's the younger sister, then, I assume? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think she's... Are the other two, like, still alive? Yeah, yes, they're alive. alive. <laughs> I mean, it depends. I, I don't know. I don't know what they eat to sustain life, but, yeah, it's... Oh, well, yeah, they're ah. 34 years old. Yeah, yeah, leave them alone. They're doing what they're doing. Bro, what... You got it, dude. Oh, I'm sorry, Defender of Virtue? Like, what? Like, what? Oh, I mean, they made their money, and then they're like, fuck you. We're going to do what we want to do. We're not those little kids anymore. We're, we're, we're who we are. What are they doing? I don't know what they're, they're doing. They're fashion and and art. And just... Are they on Say Yes to the Dress? Is that what you're getting defensive no, about? No. I don't... We're done. This, I oh, we're done. You done. love Say Yes to the Dress. Done. Do you not? That's it for that one. <laughs> <laughs>